Uh, I'm Bobby Navia. And I'm Dorian Weinzimmer. Welcome back, everybody, to the couch. Welcome. What's up, Dorian? Um, uh, shit. Shit? Yeah. Chilling? Yeah. So do you. I watched the Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy. <laughs> yeah, he yeah, did. So, uh, <laughs> you feeling uh, a certain type of way? I mean, I was. Yeah. You know, there's a couple times mm-hmm. I was like, okay, you were in. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but then there was there was the you know uh, 1970s Italian part of me that was like, mm. you guys are just not pushing it hard enough. No. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm just not. I'm just not getting anything. You're right ru- now. you're rubbing the rim right now. Yes. Yeah. You were just yeah. So uh, I enjoyed the first movie, but the last two were <laughs> the la- the <laughs> the movies get shorter and worse. <laughs> it's basically my 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 summary and critique of yeah. the entire series. Uh, so. If you were an idiot, you could almost admire it. <laughs> <You're right>. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, but we're not here today to talk about the Fifty Shades. Of no, Grey we movies. might end up. Yeah, yeah, maybe sometime. Maybe one of these no. days. I I have not. Uh, I have not watched them, so they were part of my uh, anti-programming for Valentine's Day. I That's decided right. to take a shot with uh, these movies because mm-hmm. they were pretty big once upon a time. Yeah, and uh, I don't know why. It's crazy how fast of like a whoop, yeah. you know, like big blip mm-hmm. on the fucking radar those things are. I mean, they they knew it. They rushed those movies out so fast. They were like, yeah. clearly, we have very little time to capitalize on this. So let's let's get it going. And hey, I don't know. I guess. Good on them for realizing. I might almost the piece of shit they had <laughs> on their hands. I might almost be interested in like a director's cut, mm. you know, of the last two movies. Mm-hmm. You know, just to since you got the E.L. James cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but anyways, so we're dipping back into physical media today. Yeah, and uh, this week we're gonna do our our picks for the Criterion Collection. Woo! Dorian's a big Criterion guy. Quite a fan. I mean, you might have introduced me to Criterion, too. It's possible. It yeah. might, might have been possible. I might have actually owned a Criterion and not known it. Right, yeah. Like, years before meeting you. Mm-hmm. But definitely, you know, you play a seminal part in <laughs> any sort of film education in my life. <laughs> you know? and uh, Honored to be. Yeah. Honored to be that guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, which is great. And I also love arguing with you about <laughs> shit that I'm like, no, I'm sorry. I just, I just can't. No. And vice versa. So, you yeah. know. It works. Yep, exactly. Um, Film needs to... Cinema should challenge us. Yes. uh, Sometimes. Not all the time, but but sometimes. I prefer it more than others, but yeah. (laughs) Fifty Shades definitely challenged me. Okay, (laughs) done. Done done with that. So um, let's let's get into it because uh, I'm excited to talk about uh, my picks. I want to hear what your picks are. Doran and I do not know what our picks are, so they, they will be... Maybe surprises, you know, yeah. but I'm sure when you say your movies, it'll be there. But we're going to do this just like we did uh, our Vinegar Syndrome episode. We're going to do, uh, they're not like a top three, and I'm not going to say like, you know, they're three, two, one, or one, two, three. Right. They're just three picks. And then we're going to do uh, some honorable mentions. And then at the end of the episode, we're going to do uh, maybe some picks of movies we like wish like Criterion would put out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, these could be realistic. These could just be far-fetched, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. <laughs> yep. But uh, that's what we're going to round it out with. So um, I think, did I start Vinegar the um, last time? Let me, I would like to just quickly kind of um, explain what the Criterion Collection oh, yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, we should do that. And sort of, and just like what makes them special. And like, I don't know, like I, like you pointed out, I'm I'm a fanatic. Yes. Um, I've Mulled been, Dorian Drive. Yeah, I've been, I've been collecting their movies for a very long time. 
um, God, since like, I think I started like collecting them in earnest probably around like 2004 or so. Oh, hmm. three or Oh four. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it was when I, uh, when I moved to Boston and, uh, was, um, trying to study music and was out there and was working at GameStop slinging video games <laughs> and, uh, you know, just my continuing like cinephilia was developing. Yeah. And, um, there was a Virgin mega store yeah. really close to the GameStop that I worked at. And mm-hmm. it was oftentimes on my way home cause it was right by the train stop that I would take back okay. to my apartment. And, um, so I would stop in the Virgin Megastore and they had a Criterion section. Okay. So it was just Criterion releases. And, you know, this was back when it was just DVD. Right. Um, and everything. So, you know, I was going there to like pick up movies, but I kept like looking through this Criterion section and noticing like, you know, just really different looking stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, and the cover art was always very uh, appealing. Yeah. Um, they really go out of their way to, you know, on the design front with everything, which we'll get into, of course. But, um, but so, you know, it was just very attractive and it was like stuff that I considered myself already pretty knowledgeable, you know, Mm -hmm. about movies, but I was still kind of caught in the, like, you know, what was available at Blockbuster. Yeah. You know, I had seen everything there. Yeah. And then like, even at my local video store, I had gotten a little deeper, you know, (laughs) into some areas, but um, you know, I, I wasn't totally like introduced to a lot of like, you know, foreign films or like art house cinema. Cause that was the stuff that usually doesn't populate, you know, the, the traditional video store shelves. Yeah. Or the theaters. Exactly. Yeah. One, yeah. So, you know, I was really unfamiliar and then a lot of like American independent stuff as well. Yeah, I just, yeah. you know, I sort of hadn't really been exposed to, I'd seen some of that, um, you know, like I'd seen like welcome to the dollhouse in the theater actually okay. um, cemetery man also at I, okay. you know, Piper's alley in Chicago <laughs> nice. um, stuff like that. But anyway, so I, you know, I kept like looking at, at the stuff here and it just like was really intriguing to me. And um, you know, it's kind of like, all right, well fuck it. I'm going to start like taking some risks on this stuff just cause it sounds really interesting mm-hmm. and I want to, you know, it sounds up my alley and then, you know, it was just, it just kept feeding itself. Cause it was like, I would watch it and it was like, I found this whole secret, you know, world of yeah. cinema that I was like, Holy shit. How does no one know about this? <laughs> and, um, you know, and then it was like, I could go back and there was this whole treasure trove that I yeah. could come through. Just like, what am I going to find? You know? And so I just kept going back and just like buying more and more. And I was just like, do you remember what your first one was? Uh, I believe it might not have been the first one, but okay. one of the really early ones that I got that was like, holy shit, was Steven Soderbergh's Schizopolis. Okay. Which I think part of what was so appealing about it was because I knew who Soderbergh was. Right. You know, like Traffic had come out at this point and okay. Aaron Brockovich and stuff. So um, Sex Lies and Videotape, of course. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but you know, this was this just like kind of unknown thing of his and I took it home. And I don't know. Have you seen Schizopolis? No. Okay. It's... I haven't watched it in a long time. We, we got to watch this <laughs> okay. movie. It's, so it's basically like his student film. Okay. That he never, because he just made, he just like up and made Sex, Lies, and Videotape just like you do, mm-hmm. you know, and won the Palme d'Or at Cannes <laughs> and stuff. And like, you know, so he just kind of immediately was like a director, you okay. know? And so Schizopolis was him kind of going back to like, no, you know what? I kind of want to just like fuck around mm-hmm. and like explore okay. a bit. So he made that movie. And it's wild. It's really, really incredible. Um, I, I love this movie. But me and uh, my buddy Jeff Shell, yeah, uh, yeah. I, we watch this movie like over and over again. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah, it's awesome. It's it's really funny. It's so weird. It's just completely strange. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just a lot of things I love about it. It plays a lot with language too, with okay. which like I love. 
Um, and yeah, it's, it's just, it's a beast of its own. And, and again, like knowing Soderbergh as like the guy who had done stuff like traffic yeah. and Aaron Brockovich and had made sex lies and videotape prior to this, it was just really cool again to see, you know, that was my first exposure to like what Soderbergh really was as an artist, okay. not just as like a Hollywood director, mm-hmm. you know, but peek at what else he was doing and would continue doing over his career and stuff. But right, right. Yeah. So that was a big one. Okay. But so anyway, um, so what they do essentially, and this is on the back of all of their releases, is it says the Criterion Collection is dedicated to gathering the greatest films from around the world and publishing them in editions of the highest technical quality with supplemental features that enhance the appreciation of the art of film. Um, so, I mean, I think that, you know, sums it up pretty well. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, to just highlight a couple of elements there, like, yeah, like we said, they do a lot of foreign and art house films mm-hmm. um, and a lot of like independent cinema as well. They've been getting much more into contemporary stuff um, in the past few years. Um, but some of the uh, really, you know, I guess key features of their releases are, A, as we mentioned, the design is always, like, really impeccable. Yeah, um, cover they, art. Yeah, they do an amazing job with, like, the cover art and, you know, even, like, the artwork on the disc and, like, even the booklet that comes inside mm-hmm. usually has some, like, sort of concept driving all of it that relates to the film somehow Mm -hmm. and like what the film does as a work of art, you know? So, um, so those elements are always like really well thought through and just like when you buy it, it's just like the physical object is a very like beautiful thing, you know, (laughs) it's not just like, you know, just your standard like blue, you know, clamshell Blu-ray case with like, you know, the poster that you've seen a million times and which was designed to appeal to the mass market, you know, on it of like guy, looking over his shoulder with a gun at the camera, you know, yeah. type of thing. <laughs> um, you get these really, really uh, evocative, you know, images that they choose for the, the um, you know, the cover art and stuff. So, uh, and sometimes with the box sets and stuff, they go even deeper, but we'll talk about some of that more in detail. And then another big element is the special features. Mm-hmm. Um, like they do such an amazing, <laughs> seemingly laborious job of bringing special features to the table that really, as they said in their mission statement, you know, enhance the appreciation of the film and of the film art. You know, it's not just a bunch of people explaining like, oh, this is why I did this shot or that. It's like, you know, they'll dig up interviews that the director did on like French television in 1960 Mm -hmm. and like have that on there. (laughs) Um, You know, they'll do new interviews with the, you know, directors sometimes and stuff like that. Any key collaborators um, they can, if, you know, it was based on a novel, they'll even, you know, sometimes find stuff relating to the book. Nice. Um, even like press conferences or interviews that like the author did in the fifties on German television, you know, when the oh, book came so yeah, out, yeah, yeah. you know, so they go really in depth with this stuff where it's like worth your time to watch these special features. Cause I, you know, I will say some of the other ones like arrow and vinegar syndrome and Severin, they, a lot of them do have really good special features. And then, you know, there's a lot of them too, where I feel like we've kind of rehashed the same thing over and over again mm-hmm. in some of these like, or, you know, you watch them and it's like, okay, this guy didn't really have anything really of interest to say. I don't know why this was edited to be 25 minutes long, you <laughs> right, know? Right. Um, and I can't really think of a time I've felt that way about any of the Criterion special features. Okay. You know, I feel like every time I've, I've watched them, and even if they were lengthy, um, with the whole time I was very engrossed, you know, with them mm-hmm. and uh, found them to be extraordinarily, like, insightful. And then same with, um, you know, they almost always have an essay uh, that's in the booklet that oh, yeah, comes yeah. with the... Uh, that comes with the release and those as well, I've always found to be like really, really well written mm-hmm. and actually have something really interesting to say about the film and usually contextualizing the film within 
some historical context or within okay. the you know director's larger body of work. Right, right. Um, so you know it's cool. It it really it does bring. They all the special features, you know, they don't just talk about just this movie in like a vacuum mm-hmm. and just like, okay, here's how we did that and here's how we did this. It really, you know, they explore more of like the art behind it and the artist behind it or artists, I should right. say, especially in film um, of every of every stripe. You know, they'll have stuff about the DP or the costume designer, you know, if they're of renown or mm-hmm. are sort of like unsung heroes of the business and stuff. They'll they'll go out of their way to highlight these people. So, right. Um, that stuff is really also like kind of above and beyond, I would say the other, um, a lot of the other like boutique labels, mm-hmm. um, in terms of how they, you know, curate the special features and stuff. So, um, but yeah. And then, you know, the last thing I just want to say too, is that like they've, you know, because they do a lot of like art house and foreign stuff, um, there's a real like educational aspect that I've found, you know, to these films, not only in the special features that, you know, go into, again, sometimes very historical sort of like, you know, context for like when and where the film was made and why it sort of reflects, Mm -hmm. you know, some of those elements that, you know, the casual viewer might not know. Yeah. Um, But just like in terms of, like I said before, like they've, you know, they've inspired a level of trust in me that, even if I don't know anything about like the filmmaker or the film mm-hmm. that they're releasing, yeah. if it sounds like it's of interest to me, like I will take that plunge. Right. You know, and I've like a hundred percent of the time been rewarded for that. Uh, I will, you know, even, even some of the films that I've bought of theirs that I didn't like, I found something really valuable within anyway. You know, there was something about the way the film was made or the film itself that just really struck a chord with me. Mm-hmm. And like that stuck with me, even though overall I was like, yeah, that was just, was you know, right. yeah. just all right. Um, so, yeah, and, you know, they've just they've just really through their collection have just sort of highlighted the need for diverse voices in films as well. Like, mm-hmm. I think before it was fashionable to do so, they've kind of yeah. been doing this, like, you know, taking films from like all over the world and, um, you know, making sure that they are that a I mean, first of all, they're, a you know, restoration companies, yeah. film restoration companies. So they preserve all these things which mm-hmm. could be lost to time. Um, we talked about this in the vinegar syndrome one, a lot of this stuff, if, you know, it's just left around in unideal conditions, which is most conditions, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, it'll deteriorate and it'll just fade away just and it'll away. just evaporate essentially, um, turn to dust <laughs> and, you know, these things would be lost. So they've been preserving and protecting this stuff for a long time. And it's like, it's awesome that there's so many efforts being made nowadays to include a much broader scope of voices in every facet of cinema. It's really commendable. Um, but it's also it's you know, we can't lose sight of the fact that it's every bit as important to preserve the films that have already been produced mm-hmm. uh, here and around the world, which fought against all this oppression, and obscurity to have a chance to be seen. And, you know, these filmmakers that risked everything to have their voices heard. Um, so in this regard, like to me, Criterion is like legitimately one of the most important companies that exists. Yeah. Um, there's just nobody else taking this level of care, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with all this stuff from from literally all over the world. And like you can just feel the like passion and care that they feel for these films in their releases for them because they're so painstakingly and meticulously put together. I think that's, I feel like criterion, you know, your description of, 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 uh, your description and your feeling towards, towards, you know, the company and how they preserve and how they present a lot of these movies. I feel like the companies like Vinegar Syndrome and Severin and Shout, like they're all walking that same line. Yes. But, you know, Criterion is the sort of, that's the skeleton. Yeah. It's like like, we're taking that sort of mentality and we're going to do it in our own way, but we're going to, we're going to preserve what we're putting out just as much as Criterion has for years and years and years. Exactly. Because you, you bet your ass a lot of those, 
people who have started those companies and are part of them, like they got a criterion collection oh, yeah. of their own as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. You know, for sure. Yeah. They're yeah, no, it's definitely they're they're the progenitor of this kind of, you know, physical release. I mean, they go back to the laser disc days. Yeah. They're, they're, <laughs> like they've been around, you know. And uh it's really cool that they've been so successful and like and yeah, that's I mean, that's kind of become the the comparison when all those other companies started popping up was like Vinegar Syndrome was like, oh, they're like the criterion of sleaze. Yeah. You know, that was like that's <laughs> been kind of the right how the comparison is made to a lot of these companies, and I'm sure they're all flattered to hear it. You mm, know, God, like yeah. they're they're obviously very much modeling themselves <laughs> around it and and uh the world's a better place for it. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. So criterion is you know. Hats off to you. <laughs> All right. But anyway, yeah, why don't I just took up a bunch of oxygen, so why don't you why don't you kick this off? All right. My uh my first pick is gonna be a movie that uh I'm fairly certain again you introduced me to. I th- I think. I'm not sure. But um uh my first pick is uh the movie Hunger. Steve McQueen, Michael Fassbender. Fuck yeah. Uh, so, uh, I think hunger was, so I think one of the first criterions I ever owned that I didn't know was a criterion, even though it said it on the box mm-hmm. might've been chasing Amy. Oh yeah. Okay. Cause I had that. I remember watching that movie and really loving it a lot and then wanting to own it. And I bought the DVD and the DVD was the criterion DVD. Yeah. Right. But I didn't know what criterion was. I was just like, I just have chasing Amy now. So, um, so anyways, uh, hunger was one of the first like criterions. I feel like I, I bought on purpose Mm -hmm. because (laughs) it was hunger and it was criterion and this is the way I I could, I could watch this movie and stuff like that. And so, um, and I'm pretty sure it was like on your recommendation. I feel like you may have watched it and this sounds, I was screaming from the mountaintops after I saw this movie to everyone. I was like shaking them in the halls (laughs) at film school. (laughs) You have to see this. Right, right. Um, and so it would, it had, I mean, I had already been introduced to Michael Fassbender, like not knowing it through like 300, I think 300 oh, had, yeah. had come out by this point now and everything. But the most important thing is it introduced me to Steve McQueen, mm-hmm. you know, which, uh, I know he started off as like a, an artist and a photographer, uh, you know, with like art installations and stuff. And I'd never really seen any, any of that, any of, uh, any of that work. But, uh, Steve McQueen had did, has done directed movies, uh, Widows, Shame, 12 Years a Slave, uh, for the audience listening, if you don't know who he is. Yeah. But, um, so I feel like, you know, this about me. I feel like when I watch movies, it's a, it's a very emotional experience. For yeah. Me. <laughs> I watch movies very, very emotionally. Bobby watches movies with his whole self. Yeah. yeah. From, <laughs> from, from the get go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's got to take a star Wars episode nine for me to just be checked out and just <laughs> lock into <laughs> filmmaker Bobby, where yeah. I'm just like, you guys, you're fucking everything up. This is real simple. <laughs> um, but anyways, so um, so I wasn't, when I watched this movie for the first time, which isn't that long, it's like 96 uh, yeah, minutes something long. something like that, yeah. It's, uh, I didn't realize how simple and brutal it would be. And uh, the movie Hunger is about uh, the, uh, an Irish Republican army member named Bobby Sands, who in 1981 went on a hunger strike against the British government. And... Um, this is one of these moments where I know I've said this before uh, to you uh, on mic and off mic, but it was one of these moments where I didn't realize like, oh, you could do that like in movies yeah. and, and in and in film and stuff. And um, 
I hadn't really seen this version of a. It's not classified as a biopic, but I'm gonna just use the word. Sure. For yeah. for for the purposes of this movie being actually based on a on a person. Yeah. Who did this? So, um, but um, it was. I had never watched a someone deteriorate on screen, <laughs> like physically yeah. from a hunger strike, uh, so beautifully uh, for something that he believed in so strongly. And um, through the artful way that was done in the movie, it just opened up a different different levels of how you can experience someone's life through a simple act. Yeah. You know, normally when we think of like biopics, it's like, well, we got to start when they were on, you know, the farm, fill in the blank for any artist or any movie that starts like that. And then we have to go through their, you know, uh, infidelities, drug abuse, this and that. And this was just one moment in this man's life where he stood for something so fervently and we just watch him deteriorate sores, the whole thing. And uh, it's all anchored by this, like, what is like 30 or 45 minute long uh, profile shot of a conversation that he has with a priest. Yeah, I think it's a it's a family priest or I don't know if it's the priest for the prison, Um, but the priest is definitely trying to get him to stop what he's doing. And there's just this it's like a conversation about like why he's doing this and like ethics and beliefs and, and this and that. And it was just so simple that like some biopics take two and a half hours to do what this 30 minute conversation did and then just have the rest of the movie be something that you experience mm-hmm. with that conversation. And yeah. I didn't know that like that was possible or that, yeah. or that you could do that or just be that, um, be that simple, even though I'm sure it's not a simple task to take on to like write and direct that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I'm trying to think of, a, I'm trying to think of the, Oh, be that abstract, mm-hmm. you know, because it is a very like abstract movie. Yeah, but um, yeah, because prior to that conversation, the first like forty minutes, there's no dialogue. Right, it's all visual. Yeah, yeah, and then all of a sudden you go, you just all of a sudden are in a twenty minute dialogue scene. Yeah, where the camera doesn't move. It's <laughs> just we just talk for twenty minutes. Yeah, right, right. Um, and it's incredible. Yeah, like you said, I mean, it's this like just it's such an incredible conversation too. And like to be able to break down that kind of big theme of the idea of like asceticism of like self-sacrifice in the name of belief mm-hmm. and to have like a priest and a guy on a hunger strike, like kind of break down where their limits are Yeah, as far as that goes, because obviously these are two people who are all about self-sacrifice in the name of your belief system. <laughs> right. And so for a priest to be like, Whoa, buddy, <laughs> you know, yes. like an Irish priest, you yeah, know? Right. Yeah. It's like, you, you don't get more like pious than that guy. Mm-mm. And, Mm-mm. and yeah, so it's, it's really fascinating to be able to, yeah, kind of cut to the heart of all that stuff. Yeah. Um, in that, you know, seemingly little amount of dialogue as compared to the larger amount of the film, even though when it happens, it's like, Holy shit, it's like a shotgun blast. You know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Cause it's like a fast conversation too. Mm-hmm. Um, and stuff. So, but yeah, man, that's fuck. That is such a good movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was looking. I mean, I mean, based all, I uh, based all my picks on Criterion movies that I own. Yeah, uh, I did scroll through the collection mm-hmm. online just to see what's been released, what was, what is coming out, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, I try to stick to what I had in my collection, and um, I, I haven't watched Hunger in a really long time. Yeah, and even going through my collection, I was just like, I stopped a few times 
while I was taking notes on stuff just to read the backs of things. And I almost text you to be like, I might just need to go on a criterion run. I'm all, and I'm just like, like watch a shit ton of movies at this point. Like I'm just, on it right now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I think I started last night, <laughs> but, um, yeah, hunger is definitely, you know, one of the, one of the staples in my, my sort of film education with what you could do with, with movies yeah. and, you know, uh, it, it's definitely it definitely influenced a lot of me wanting to follow you know Steve McQueen's career you know which has just been fantastic yeah uh, you know <laughs> so um, so yeah hunger is uh, nice. is my first is my first choice my first pick that was a fucking solid pick right there yeah yeah that that movie slaps <laughs> it <does>. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just it's a powerhouse like right from the start I yeah mean, it's like you just feel the impact of every image like, i was trying to so think of other movies heavily. i've seen that have been like that and i just couldn't really think of one that just yeah hit so hard no uh, yeah the intensity of everything in that movie is just like ratcheted up so high yeah. it just even like you know super tight close-ups of like little things even feel like you're watching the world crumble right yeah, yeah <laughs> really. no exactly yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's something else. I mean, it's, uh, I, I personally, I mean, I, I've like really enjoy all of his other movies. Mm-hmm. They're all extremely good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still kind of feel like he's, he still hasn't topped that. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. No? Like, I think hunger is still his strongest. It's just, it's so raw. It's so visceral. It just, it feels, he hit it a little bit with shame. Yeah. I mean, shame is I incredible. Mean, shame is yeah. just. Shame's right up there. It's, it's like it's like they're 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 kissing cousins. They you are know? like <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, yes. Um, no, yeah, I, but, I agree. yeah. It's I mean it's pointless to like distinguish between those two. I I would say, but yeah, no. For the most part, like I just there's something. I mean, and also it was the first movie of his, and just being exposed to something like that, just fresh and new, you mm-hmm. know, kind of seeming when it came out. Really, just it hits so hard. Yeah. I still feel that, you know, when I watch it and look at its images, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is, uh, yeah, something really special. I mean, you could kind of, I don't want to, I don't want to say dumb it down as in an offensive way, but it's got kind of, I guess, like a, maybe like a play structure. You know, if you, if you look at like, there's a one conversation that's mm-hmm. just like locked off and then the rest of it is just sort of imagery and you're watching, you know, Maybe you could compare it to like a dance or a ballet of images sure. that are happening that you're you're experiencing with this guy and stuff. Um, but um, yeah, there hasn't been any other movies that I've, I I could think of that have done it like that. Where I don't really need to know more about this guy other than like it's just, it's about a hunger strike. This yeah, is one dude doing a hunger strike. Yeah, it's not about an entire ward or like thirty people or whatever. It's just one dude who's doing this yep and it's kind of incredible and it's and it's so because it shuts you off completely from the outside world too so it's like you don't feel the impact of his actions you know and like that's what makes it like so much harder to watch is it's like is this even accomplishing anything you know it's like and it's like he's just that that, again that like strength of belief that like no you have to believe Mm -hmm. you know that this is going to make a difference you know and just with zero reinforcement be able to like hold on to that I feel like anybody now who is thinking about doing a biopic of anything should just watch this movie. Yeah, right. <laughs> and just really think of like, what are you doing? Like, what are you saying? Yeah, other, right. Other than just like, uh, like the the day that we're recording this, it's a Wednesday. Tomorrow, 
they're releasing the trailer for the Elvis movie that Baz Luhrmann directed. Oh shit! Are you serious? Yes. <laughs> oh, fuck. You know. <laughs> So it's like, cause I was going to use like Elvis as an example. Like, what are you doing other than, you know, bringing Elvis to life through an actor this and the opposite and of the music queen. Movie. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Amazing. But, um, but no, not like now I like think about that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, it was like, if you had to like, just pick like the single most important element of this person's story, mm-hmm. you know, what would it be? Right. And yeah. And this one, it's like, it's like his body. Yeah. Like the biopic, I think, is a, is like apropos because like it's more like a biology picture. That's true. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. Biographical. It's uh, um, yeah, I mean, it really like just the kind of fragility of his sacrifice mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is really amazingly rendered. You know, yeah. like the way it's viewed through McQueen's camera is like really hyper effective. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty wild. <laughs> um. Yeah, maybe not like. I don't know if this should be your first buy. <laughs> it's a heavy one. It's yeah. a heavy one. Yeah. If you're gonna go, if you know, I'm, I'm. Yeah, I'm also. These are also not in any particular order as yeah. to like, hey, you know, just to start off, you know, pick up this flick. <laughs> Number one, start off with this. Yeah, yeah. but um, yeah, when I was in film school, when 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 I saw this for the first time, so yeah, you know, it was very very helpful. Yeah, that nice. Room. So, but yeah, hunger. Steve Fuck McQueen. Yeah, great pick. All right, what you got? Great. Um, so I, I have to, I have to kick it off with Mulholland Drive. Oh shit! I okay. Can't, yeah, yes. I, All right. I can't. There's, there's yeah. no way around it. It's I'm, okay. I mean, for me, this is number one. Mm-hmm. Top, top, <laughs> top sirloin. <laughs> Prime cut. Uh, so I mean, this is. I, Outside of the Criterion Collection, this is my favorite movie of all time. Yeah. So there's that. Yes. Um, it just so happens yeah, to have it, a Criterion yes, Collection release. It, uh, <laughs> it, it is the movie that made me want to become a filmmaker. Okay. Um, this and Evil Dead 2, kind of in different ways. But this one, definitely, you know, the the like direct, I could trace my direct impetus mm-hmm. to become a filmmaker to seeing this movie for the first time. Um, oh, fuck. That's right. Real quick, too. Yeah. My first Criterion uh, purchase. I know what it was. Oh, what was it? Because it was also unintentional because it was just the only release of this movie. Uh-huh. It was the Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, okay. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. The DVD release of that, there was just a Criterion just a- release. And I was like, oh, I really like this movie, but why is it like 30 bucks? You know? Yeah, and then right. I got it and I was like, what the fuck? This is beautiful. <laughs> it had like all of his drawings of the whole house in the booklet and everything. Oh, okay. I still yeah, have yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. But that was definitely the first one. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. That's a good. One. Anyway. <laughs> but um so yeah, Mulholland Drive, obviously deep strong personal connection to this, but uh it was also infuriating because there was only a DVD available for a long time. Okay. Um in the US. Mm-hmm. Uh and the DVD also it was it had no special features on it mm. and it didn't have uh chapters either. Uh oh. which was at David Lynch's request. Oh, okay. Um, because he wanted, he was like, I don't want people skipping around. You know, like uh, you should, if you're going to watch it, like you just turn it on and you watch, watch it, it, which it made it difficult just because I was showing a scene in film school once. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I have to fast forward because there's no chapter breaks. <laughs> so, um, in that one regard, it was slightly annoying. But otherwise, <laughs> I'm with you, David. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so finally, you know, I was like pining. I think there was like an Italian Blu-ray release Mm -hmm. that I was thinking about getting. I definitely still own a Korean DVD Mm. because it had special features. It had like interviews with like Justin Theroux and um, 
uh, and yeah, a few other people, but, uh, Anyway, so yeah, I've been like patiently waiting for a fucking Blu-ray release. And like I said, I've been a Criterion fan for a long time. So finally it got announced in like uh, 2015 that they were doing a Blu-ray release of Mulholland Drive on the Criterion Collection. And it was like a David Lynch approved. He's like (laughs) coming in, like overseeing this shit, all this stuff. Like I I died that day, Bobby. (laughs) I was beside myself with excitement to hear this so yeah it was like counting down the days yeah um and i remember the year that it came out because it showed up in the mail the day after we premiered chicago rod at the vic oh shit yeah nice which i like you wow you couldn't write that shit yeah you know like the day after the first film that i directed yeah uh had its its premiere to a, a large audience in a movie theater <laughs> Uh, the next day, I find in my mail my Blu-ray copy of Mulholland Drive, the movie that made me want to become a filmmaker. So um, poetic. It was it was beautiful. So poetic. It was so beautiful. So that's my yeah. that's my short film of you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you walking out of the theater. I you still smoked at the time, just yeah. having a cigarette outside of the theater, you know, and then uh, going home in the morning after a a night of partying. <laughs> I wanted to go home so bad. <laughs> Didn't you? When it was over, I was like, fuck, do I really have to party now? I just want to go to bed. I'm so tired. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry. Yeah. But so, yeah, so that was obviously super cool. And then also now um, Criterion has recently gotten into the 4K game. Yes. And their very first fucking 4K release was Mulholland Drive. Yeah. Which just... I like it. So now I have like the absolute definitive version. I mean, it's as close to watching a film print at home as you can get. Yeah. Is which once again was overseen by Lynch and uh, Peter Deming, the uh, nice. cinematographer. Um, yeah. They oversaw the, you know, this transfer and like uh, uh, Dolby vision, uh, HDR encode awesome. for awesome. it and everything. So yeah, I've, I've watched it. It's beautiful. It looks incredible. It sounds incredible. It is just, it's impeccable. Um, so yeah, to have this release of this movie, you know, in my hands, thanks to this company (laughs) is just like, it's so many things I love all in one place, Mm -hmm. you know? So there was no way this wasn't going to be my top pick. Yeah. Um, but so for anyone who might be unfamiliar with Mulholland drive, the, I will read the criterion synopsis, uh, which goes a love story in the city of dreams, blonde Betty Elms has only just arrived in Hollywood to become a movie star when she meets an enigmatic brunette with amnesia. Meanwhile, as the two set off to solve the second woman's identity, filmmaker Adam Kesher runs into ominous trouble while casting his latest project. David Lynch's seductive and scary vision of Los Angeles' dream factory is one of the true masterpieces of the new millennium, a tale of love, jealousy, and revenge like no other. Uh, which I think is the closest you can come to summing up this movie. Yeah. Probably. It's yeah. Once you start to try to explain it, yeah. that's when you <laughs> run into the swamp. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it is, it is firmly a David Lynch film. Yeah. Um, if you're unfamiliar with what that means, then, um, Get I'm not going to bother trying to explain <laughs> it to you. Just, just turn it on and check it out. Cause I mean, that was really how I went into it and what seduced me about it. You know, mm-hmm. when I first saw it, it was like it, it just has this special power to like David Lynch is known as a very abstract artsy filmmaker, mm-hmm. but he's also like a master storyteller. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why, you know, I've maintained for a long time that like anytime you hear him tell a story, like a, just a simple story about like his childhood or something, it is like 
the whole world just disappears around you and all you can focus on is this man's <laughs> voice and uh-huh. like the story he's telling. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Okay. Um, and I, I just, he is obviously like so good at traditional or conventional storytelling that it bores him <laughs> and he needs a different way to tell stories. Yeah. You know, but he still understands what makes a story work. So like he's able to produce works that are like very abstract and approach stories from like a very different angle than anyone else but also like can maintain some sort of conventional level of engrossment within the viewer Mm -hmm. as well. So it's like, he's able to seduce you and draw you in through like, you know, a hook of uh, something of, you know, woman gets in this car crash. Can't remember who she is. Now we've got to solve, you know, the the mystery of who this woman is, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that that are like immediately like, okay, cool. I'm in like, let's figure this out, you know? Um, but then where he goes with it obviously is so unconventional (laughs) (laughs) right? and so different while still maintaining that through line of we're, you know, investigating this woman's identity. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he's just, he's able to, to, to work those two approaches kind of in parallel. Um, you know, which is something that a lot of other filmmakers are very much decidedly on one side of or the other, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. it's all art driven or it's all narrative driven, you know, like craft driven. Um, but yeah, he, he just finds a way to, to strike a balance between the two that I've never quite seen in anyone else. And I think this movie is like the prime example of it. Nice. So yeah, I saw this movie for the first time a couple of months ago. That's right. Went to music box on uh, 35, right? Yeah. 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 It was really good. Beautiful. I really liked it a lot. Awesome. I'm always really afraid. Like I, I'm not afraid of David Lynch. Like I'm afraid of uh, Lars. Yeah, Lars <laughs> and a little bit of a little bit of Gaspar. You yeah. Know? Oh yeah. Um, yeah. But um, I, I'm always worried that I won't get it, and I'm always worried that I'll have like uh, an initial reaction that's like, well, that was garbage, mm-hmm. you know. But then uh, I kind of fall into that to that mode where, you know, there, there's like this giant group of people or just yourself who just like love this one thing, you know? And I'm just like, ah, oh, did I just not get it? it or, mm-hmm. Cause I don't think that was good. I yeah. mean, <laughs> you know? Um, and then it just goes, it falls into like, what is art? You know, you know, art's very subjective yeah. too, you know? So, uh, everybody doesn't have to have the same opinion about it, but, um, I was like really, and I'm also, um, I was just really surprised that like I, I got it. On, yeah. Like the first watch, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it wasn't it wasn't confusing, but there were times where it was like pretty challenging for me because uh, it did feel disjointed for me on a first watch. But uh, like the scene that you showed at school the one time mm-hmm. uh, in it, for people who have seen it, I won't spoil it. it takes place in the diner. Yeah. And it's a story <laughs> about a dream. It's uh, really locked the movie into place for me. Mm-hmm. Like like. I was like, okay, that is the Rosetta Stone. It yeah. really is. Yeah. I was just like, uh, I got it. You yeah. know, um, but no, I really, really enjoyed like the hell yeah. out of this movie. Uh, I'm and I'm, I'm happy to hear it every yeah. time you say it. Yeah, <laughs> it thrills me to no end. Um, but yeah, it's like you know, that's kind of the cool thing about his movies too. Is like it's not. He's not trying to like. He's not trying to hide his meaning under layers of, you know, look how smart I am. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not his intent. Like he's he's telling these stories in this way because it's the only way to convey the feelings that are driving the story. And that's like what makes his movies so special and so important. And I think why people like even if they are kind of intimidated in a way by his reputation going Mm -hmm. in will come out of it feeling like, wow, that was really different. I actually really got something out of that Mm -hmm. because it's like it's not a challenge to understand. It's like, he wants you to let go and just like feel the movie. 
Right. You know, like yes. scene to scene, it's not about like, oh, what did he say? That's going to like, was that like a big plot twist that like changes all this? It's like, no, no, it's like the emotions that kind of arise from each scene are the, the through line. Yeah. Like that's the story that's being told. Mm-hmm. And it's, he's so good at it. It's kind of impossible not to feel those things. Right. So it's like, even when I've talked to people who are like, I don't understand it, you know, when I like talk to them, it's like, well, this scene really like made me uncomfortable for like this way. I'm like, okay, then you did understand it actually. You know, like that's exactly what that scene was about. Uh And, you know, and, and about how we're then driving that into the next scene or like how that's changing what came before it, you know, and things like that. That's the movie. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, you know, so yeah, you don't need to sit there and try to like decode every like little, you know, gesture, like, you know, (laughs) a bit of dialogue. I mean, all that stuff's contributing to like a larger kind of atmosphere. Uh And, um, you know, it's cool. Again, there's this, you know, there's still this sort of like narrative hook that, allows your logical mind to like stick onto something mm-hmm. and then the rest of the movie can sneak by yeah, right. <laughs> you know and actually penetrate like a deeper like more emotional kind of core of yourself mm-hmm. and like that's the power of his films yeah and yeah Mulholland Drive just did does this masterfully so perfect pick sir yeah perfect perfect first pick had to be the one that was a no I wrote it down first and I was like ah, uh, is that just a cop out <laughs> of course, I'm going to pick Mulholland Drive. I think everyone listening already knows this about me, but no, fuck that. Yeah. 100% number one pick. Awesome. Um, I did the reverse of what you did for uh, for your number one pick. Okay. So my number one pick is my second pick. Okay. <laughs> which is which is this right here. Uh, it's the Before Trilogy. Nice. I had a feeling this was coming. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, of course, if you know me, uh, just like you know Dorian, uh, the Before Trilogy, I've spoken to many, many, many people about it, and it's one of my favorite trilogies ever. It's the Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and Before Midnight, uh, and in order, they came out in 95, 2004, and 2013. Damn. Yeah. I didn't realize they were like nine years apart. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, so this is... Uh, if. N- Anybody has never heard of these movies before or hearing them for the first time, uh, hearing about them for the first time from me. Uh, there is a trilogy of movies uh, that have uh, two characters in them, uh, played by Ethan Hawke and Julie Depley. And uh, they, in the first movie, they meet on a train, and the entire movie is them walking through the streets of uh, Italy or Vienna and um, just having a conversation and getting to know each other and falling in love. It's basically what this is. It's a it's a it's a walk and talk. It's the most Bobby movie ever made. It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love love Dorian. Yeah, I love it I so much. And I had like always and bring the. I actually in my notes I have the Virgin Megastore in here as well. Nice. Uh, I'd always see these two movies at the Virgin Megastore on Michigan Avenue when mm-hmm. I was in college. And I always wondered if they were connected in some way. (laughs) (laughs) And admittedly, before Sunset, which is the second movie, was more appealing to me just because it looked more modern. And the first one Uh in 95, I was like, well, this looks like an older movie that I just, I don't know. Didn't catch it. I just didn't catch it. But I never bought them. I never watched them at all. And, uh, you know, like, (laughs) it's like, I can't remember when I watched the movies, uh, like what year or, or, you know, what time. It had to be a couple years off of 2013. So let's just say within five years uh, before 2013, maybe I'd seen both of, both of these movies. And I just didn't know that 
I think in my heart of hearts, this is kind of like my my dream wish for you know falling in love with somebody because I love having conversations with people just in general. Mm-hmm. But like that is initially what attracts me to you know someone who I end up liking is a conversation about life, whatever it is, music, movies, you know, whatever, whatever it, it may be. Yeah. It's just a simple conversation. And it was just so awesome to see it like rendered so authentically in a movie. Uh, and what I didn't know was that before sunrise, when it came out, like it premiered at Sundance and the movie kind of ends on a bit of a cliffhanger. Mm. And, but there was never, it's, it was never planned as a trilogy. And there was a, never a sequel planned in the way that we think about, you know, building a universe or an interconnected thing, you know, in the time we live in now. It just so happened that, uh, oh, the director of all three of these movies is Richard Linklater. And so it just so happened that Julie Depley and Ethan Hawke and Richard Linklater, like, felt that they had more to say about these characters and were wondering themselves where they would be at uh, 10 years later. And so the movie takes place 10 years later the actors who portray the characters are obviously 10 years older and so um and i think what i really like about these movies is they just feel like very authentic movies about a relationship mm-hmm. and two people who are in love like hands down in love and like the first movie is like love in your early 20s the second movie is like love in your mid early to mid 30s and then the last one is like love in like you know your mid mid to late 40s and it just feels so authentic to me. Mm-hmm. And I just really, really, really love these movies. These are the movies I actually watch every Valentine's Day <laughs> because I cannot, I cannot just watch one. I have to watch them as a whole. Yeah. Because they just feel more complete that way. And uh, this was the first year I didn't watch it because I did Fifty Shades. Yeah. <laughs> you did a different trilogy. I took a different trilogy, which, uh, yeah, wasn't a good idea. Mm-hmm. But... Um, yeah, I just really love these movies a lot. They, they 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 speak to me. I feel like if you ever just wanted to get to know like a part of me or a part of my psyche is just like to like watch these movies and they might not be for you. It is just a bunch of conversation talking about random things, but um I do like that uh, Ethan Hawke and Julie Depley uh, are the writers of these movies mm. as well. So uh, they are their characters and just sort of like the places they go to with their characters. That's an, that's another thing that's kind of nice to watch is that while uh, uh, that's the authenticity I feel behind it is that I can tell that these two actors care about these characters and it's almost kind of like an art piece in that way where it's like, they are these characters and they are doing this and you know, they are the owners of yeah. this, so this relationship. Semi autobiographical quality to it almost. Yeah. yeah right. I mean, like sort yeah. of probably I'm guessing like play a little, you know, mixtape of mm-hmm. character and actual me, you know, right. Exactly. Into these things, which is, uh, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I've loved these movies forever. And, uh, it was when, uh, before midnight came out or was about to come out, I was just fucking, over the over the moon yeah about it and uh i actually had my sister alex i i wanted to go see it and alex doesn't go see a lot of uh, criterion type movies let's uh-huh. just say let's just <laughs> yeah. say an umbrella and uh i remember hitting up alex and i was like i want to go see before midnight and like i don't want to go by myself can you just come with me yeah just come see it i was like but if you come with me you have to watch the other two movies like mm. you honestly have to watch them. Yeah. And so she was like, okay, you know what? That's no problem. Like I'll do it. I'll watch it. Like she was kind of taking one for the it. team. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so, 
So she had told me that she watched them and she really liked them. And then uh, we went to go see Before Midnight at the uh, at the landmark on Clark Street, right over there. Yeah. And uh, we saw it. And after we walked out, I was very surprised that she liked it. And like one of the first words out of her mouth were just like, I really I really missed them. Yeah. <laughs> that was like the Alex's first reaction to watching Before Midnight. And I was yeah. like, I know. I just I miss them as well. Like <laughs> I'm 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 happy to still see them. But I'm like, ha- I'm sad to like let them go for. I don't know, maybe forever. Yeah. Because that's how the first one was. It was just like we got to meet these characters and yeah. you know, it 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 ended how it ended and we didn't know what was gonna happen, you know? And so so yeah, it's been it's been really, really interesting. There's have been like rumors and here and there that the there might be another one, but mm-hmm. I think that's kind of what I like about it is um we don't know and also like it seems to be that like Link later and Ethan Hawke and Julie Depley also don't know. They don't really, yeah. You know, and uh, you know, I th- I think in a particular way, like movies, just in general, like will find you at the right time. And I kind of like that uh, this story and these movies sort of find these artists at the right time mm-hmm. when they have something to say, and it, it it feels like that when when I'm watching it. Yeah. So. Criterion has all three of them in a very, very nice box set. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I will say I'm not the biggest fan of the artwork. It's a little yeah. weird. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of like watercolor drawings of the two of them oh, okay. on the front of it. They like portraits of mm-hmm. them. So uh, I honestly don't know what other kind of uh, art I would have I would have done from them. But uh, they're in a box set. And um, I think the art that is on the inside of the... Um, of the they're not in cases they're kind of like in flaps like uh i don't know what you would call it but they just sort of open up oh yeah yeah you know what i mean um i think technically those are called like digipacks digipacks yeah okay it's like the uh one side is the plastic that the disc sits in and then there's like a piece of cardboard that just folds over that yes yeah 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 so um so all three movies are in are in that and i think there's a like a bit of a like a bigger book in the last one Mm-hmm. uh and stuff so but uh yeah i highly recommend buying this if you're you know if you're into rom-coms and you're into <laughs> like romantic romantic movies like uh this would be a good set to watch because i i i this is not a rom-com i would not call these movies rom-coms at yeah. all and uh it's just an entirely different more like raw experience <laughs> to you know to that and so um so yes the before series Nice. It's my number two pick. Sweet. I love it. I've. Yeah. Uh, oh, wait. Last thing. This is also really good because uh, the many, many years I've talked to you about these movies, this also led me to Scenes from a Marriage, which oh, yeah. was also That's really right. great. Yeah. You know, when we when we <laughs> talked about it uh, uh, on our earlier podcast and stuff, when we did a uh, Malcolm and Marie trailer review. Yeah. That's right. Uh, matched with the first time of me seeing uh, Ingmar Berman Scenes from a Marriage. Yeah. So that was also really great to watch. Uh, you were you were the one who suggested I watch. You wanted me to watch scenes from marriage, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I really did love quite a bit, and it was awesome. a v- very nice to see um, how they worked off each other. This nice. before series and scenes from marriage, I really really like that. Yeah, because confession time, I've never seen the before trilogy. Yeah, I, I haven't know. seen a single one of these. <laughs> mo- yeah, Bobby knows yeah. Uh, uh, knows very well. Uh, I've never seen any of these, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, which is and for no good reason. I'm not not interested in seeing them i like richard like letter <laughs> um and i would like to watch these movies uh we just we keep talking about doing it and then we just haven't done it uh 
Which we can definitely arrange. I mean, we, we can. Yeah, yeah, we we arrange to watch all you know fucking eight <laughs> Fast and Furious movies in one weekend. So, you know, we, I, I imagine we won't have as big of a crew for the Before trilogy. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe yeah, actually, I don't know. Sean will be into that. Maybe yeah, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Not Hannah. <laughs> She'd be like, "Go have your cry fest." <laughs> We're gonna watch some Schwarzenegger movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm. Uh, I, I feel like I feel like this movie will, this trilogy will find you and I on a couch with some wine. Yeah, when it, when it needs to, totally, and uh, we'll be all the better for it. I love it. Perfect. Yeah, I'm way into that. <laughs> um, yo, can I grab a beer? Yes, you? I would love to. I would love to start drinking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So my next pick. Number two. Yeah. Okay. So I, I just want to say also beyond Mulholland Drive, which was just, like I said, a no brainer for me. Okay. Uh, this is an impossible task. I'm just, I'm kind of just plucking things from the air. Oh, to pick like, three, you mean? Yeah, to pick three. Because I'm okay. like, my top picks from Criterion are all of Criterion. Uh, you know, fair. <laughs> basically. Fair. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I'm kind of going. I, I so what I try to do also is like pick a couple things that illustrate a couple of the different elements that I talked about at the beginning. Okay. So like uh, you know Mulholland Drive, very personal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but yeah, like all the elements, you know, hallmark elements of a Criterion release are there. The impeccable presentation, uh, great special features, really nice artwork and packaging and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, so anyway, so one that I think as far as a uh, kind of all around package of like great movie, incredible, like really actually conceptual, you know, Mulholland Drive has like really nice artwork on it. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie has more like of a conceptual kind of package. OK. Um, and then also like just a plethora of special features that I think are very um you know, in, uh, enlightening okay. and, uh, and help contextualize the film into like a broader context very well. Uh, but anyway, this is, so I just watched this movie last night, uh, but this is Thomas Vinterberg's the celebration. Um, it's, is it new release, right? Yeah. It just, like, it just, just came, came out okay. like a few weeks ago. Um, and I, when I saw the packaging, I like, I actually laughed out loud when I saw it. Cause it was just like, in terms of like conceptually, you know, playing with the theme of the film. And actually, so this film was made as part of what's known as the Dogma 95 movement, Mm -hmm. um, which was uh, spearheaded by Thomas Vinterberg and another filmmaker uh, named Lars von Trier, who's a much more, well, you know, more of a household name. Yeah. uh, Because he's much more of a, you know, controversial filmmaker. Well, Thomas Vinterberg has just been quietly making incredible films, you know, for like 30 years. Most recently, Another Round. Oh, yeah. Mads Mikkelsen, which uh, was nominated for the Academy Award. Yeah. Yeah. Did it win? I think it, it might have won. Might yeah, be, I think it might have won. won Best Foreign Language Film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, so this was, uh, I believe, his second feature film. But the Dogma 95 movement, to sum it up briefly, was uh, a movement that was these filmmakers sort of like looking at, you know, digital cinematography coming up, digital filmmaking which was going to like democratize, you know, filmmaking by opening it up to everyone mm-hmm. and all this type of stuff. And, uh, you know, they were just kind of like looking at all the artifice that had been, that had come into filmmaking, um, as it became more of like a, uh, um, a normalized storytelling form. And okay. there was like a formula for like, you know, how you made a movie in three acts, you know, and all that type of stuff that, you know, it was, it was creating all this artifice 
and it was making the audience dumber because it was just spoon feeding them these things in a very like recognizable structure. So nobody had to work for anything, you know, okay. or anything. So they wanted to strip movies of like all this artifice and celebrity and all these things and just get back to like, like raw emotional realism basically. Okay. Um, so, you know, basically they, they wrote this, oh, sorry, oh. they wrote this whole manifesto, um, which is just like a page long of just like detailing their grievances with like what's happened with filmmaking and even like the French new wave and stuff. And like, they really take a issue with like auteur theory in particular. Okay. Um, and so they're like, no, like a true democratization of filmmaking is like, there is no filmmaker. It's like all just about like what's in front of you. Mm -hmm. You don't like it because it's this filmmaker. You like it because when you, it confronts you with this emotional truth that is undeniable, you know, and that should be, what films are made for. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so they came up with all these rules to like kind of keep you in check. (laughs) Um, So it was stuff like, um, you know, you couldn't, you had to shoot on location. uh, So no building sets and you couldn't bring in anything onto the location. You had to shoot it as is. Oh, wow. Um, So if you needed a specific prop for your story, you had to shoot at the location where that prop existed. You couldn't bring it into the place where you wanted to shoot. Okay. Yeah. And uh, only natural lighting, no artificial lighting of any kind, Uh um, except the one concession is that uh, if it's too dark to get exposure, you either have to cut the scene or you can put a lamp on directly on the camera. (laughs) And that can be your one light source. But that's it. <laughs> wow. Um, and then, you know, so it was a bunch of stuff like this that was like, you know, so uh, had the camera had to be handheld. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you want to stand still with it as much as you can, that's fine. But yeah. you couldn't put it on any kind of like tripod, tripod or, or uh, dolly or okay. steady camera, anything like that. Um, you know, so all this type of stuff to try to like, again, just force you to like kind of be in there, be intimate, like just work with the real elements and not bring any artificial Hollywood bullshit into the picture, basically. Um, So Vinterberg made the first of these movies. This is dogma number one. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Is this movie, The Celebration. And so the the package for The Celebration is completely see-through as though there is actually no cover art whatsoever. And you can just see into the box where there's like the pamphlet that has the Dogma 95 manifesto and then the discs inside. Mm -hmm. And there's one little tiny square of paper with like typewriter text on it that just says Dogma 1, the celebration, and then the runtime of the movie. And it takes up a very small amount of real estate on the cover. (laughs) So like, again, in keeping with this whole, like it's all stripped down, there's no artifice. They literally strip down the package to nothing. Yeah. And it looks like you're basically holding like an empty clamshell with like a little piece of paper like <laughs> taped to it. Um, so again, just sort of like playing with the theme of the film in a very like conceptual way. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's again, it's it's also just done in a very like minimalist appealing way. So it looks really cool. Um, and you can, you know, obviously look any of these up on their website and, you know, see what we're talking about. But um, but yeah, again, it just it just plays off of this in like a really clever way. That, um, you know, if you if you know about this movie at all and like the Dogma 95 movement, it's sort of like immediately clicks with you, like what they're doing here. OK. Um, and which is really cool. And then, uh, you know, even if you don't, you know, when you look at any of the stuff inside of it or watch the film, it's, you know, it's going to click pretty fast. Right. But so in addition, um, you know, this movie. So I'll just I'll read again the description on here. Um So the celebration, uh, the Danish Dogma 95 movement that struck world cinema like a thunderbolt began with the celebration, Thomas Vinterberg's international breakthrough, a lacerating chamber drama that uses the economic and aesthetic freedoms of digital video to achieve annihilating emotional intensity. On a wealthy man's 60th birthday, a sprawling group of family and friends convenes at his uh, 
country estate for a celebration that soon spirals into bedlam as bombshell revelations threaten to tear away the veneer of bourgeois respectability and expose the traumas roiling beneath. The dynamic handheld camera work, grainy natural lighting, cacophonous diegetic sound, and raw performance style that would become dogma hallmarks enhance the shattering visceral impact of this caustic indictment of patriarchal failings, which swings between blackest comedy and bleakest tragedy as it turns the sick soul of a family inside out. Um, pretty accurate description, I would say. Also mirrors the intensity of the film. <laughs> I feel like hearing well. that description and thinking about, I mean, the only Vinterberg movie I've watched is Another Round. Mm-hmm. And like, I, it feels like you read uh, feelings and emotions that I got from Another Round. Nice. Oh, cool. So, you know, uh, and I think, we'll continue, and, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. And The Hunt, another one of his films. Right. So there's, there were a lot of like similarities. It's mm-hmm. like, you can tell what this guy's preoccupations are. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's very good at delivering on them. <laughs> um, and actually, the cacophonous diegetic sound bit, that was another thing is that no, you can't do any post production audio work. Ah. Anything, any music has to be actually playing in the scene. Wow. You know? Okay. Um, all the dialogue has to be recorded, you know, on on location and everything. Uh-huh. It's like, yeah, it's you just whatever you get, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> awesome. So anyway, um, really great movie. I mean, it is it is a stick of fucking dynamite. This film, it is so <laughs> good uh, from front to back. But also, so the special features, I think, also highlight what I was talking about, just as far as like some of the like educational elements and like actually bringing something to the table with special features instead of like the people who made the movie having a circle jerk about how great it is. Um, it's, you know, so on this, there's a whole second Blu-ray just of special features that comes with this. And there's a documentary about the dogma 95 movement. So it goes into detail nice. of, you know, it has interviews with Vinterberg and Lars von Trier and several of the other filmmakers that participated in this. Okay. Um, you know, talking about why they wanted to do this, explaining it, other films that, you know, went along with this, you know, signed on to this, uh, they called it the vow of chastity. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, and made films and why they were inspired to do this. And so, you know, expose you to this whole world and this whole movement of cinema that was going on, you know, in, um, Denmark and, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, and even some, uh, international filmmakers participated as well. Uh, Harmony Corinne who wrote kids and, uh, you know, most recently, um, you know, more recently has directed, uh, Beach Bum with Matthew McConaughey and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did a Dogma 95 movie called Julian Donkey Boy, which okay. is fantastic. Yeah. And he actually, you have to, you had to submit your movie to them for approval. Like, <laughs> did you follow the rules and stuff? Yeah. And so he got it approved and everything. But so there's a, you know, there's a documentary about that whole movement of cinema. Um, there's interviews with a lot of the, you know, individual people that, you know, worked on the film or these films that, again, talking about their going more into depth about their uh, individual contributions to this movement. Okay. Um, and, uh, and then there's an entire documentary about the cinematographer for this film, Anthony Dodd mantle. Okay. Who, you know, shot several of these dogma 95 movies, uh, went on to win the Academy award for Slumdog millionaire and has, you know, shot a whole bunch of other stuff who just like, what a wild career. But yeah, so there's a whole doc about his career, the, the DP, That's awesome. you know, which is again, not something you see on like anyone else's discs or anything like that. The special feature is just like a lost art form. Yeah. Like, and they're I mean, masters of it. I used to watch yeah. so many special features when, you know, for, you know, big budget movies, uh, you know, uh, um, <clears throat> that I would watch and everything because that would be the best part. And now they're just very. Um, yeah. You get like the press kit stuff that yeah, was like yeah, exactly. made for YouTube. You yeah. get the press kit stuff. Exactly. That's exactly right. Um, but <clears throat> yeah. So, you know, it's just it's a great like just complete package. You know, it's like really cool, you know, design work and like conceptual design work. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and oh, and then the the um, booklet inside. Uh, the cover of it is a reproduction of the Dogma 95 manifesto. Okay, and cool. The, uh, and the <laughs> vow of chastity on the back. Yeah. Um, and then inside is actually a booklet with some, you know, uh, stills from the film, uh, like production stills and an essay, uh-huh. uh, which I just read this morning. That was really, really, again, as usual, great. Yeah. And, you know, adds <laughs> a lot of context to the film, um, you know, and just goes into a bit of, you know, more. Uh, detailed talk about some of the like stylistic choices and, you know, just from a real like craft standpoint, how he's kind of conducted this whole symphony of imagery mm-hmm. to produce the effect, you know, and it's, it's really cool. Like really just gets into like the art of filmmaking, you nice. know, and like why this movie is such a standout example of it. Is there anything that you can compare it to like in sort of, I guess, execution? Like, is there mm-hmm. something, is there something that's, not been executed the same way, but like, yeah. is there another like movie <clears throat> and or style of filmmaking that was like such a firecracker? Yeah. That, I don't know <laughs> if it's more recent or, you know, maybe like a couple of years after in like the mid two thousands or something that came out that you could kind of be like, this was another like, holy fuck, mm-hmm. you know, moment that, that, uh, maybe it's not exactly how you felt after watching the celebration, yeah. but, you know, maybe sort of similar. <laughs> yeah. Um, man, hard to pinpoint. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Cause I mean, in a lot of ways it's really funny. Cause like in, in terms of, you know, modern, excuse me, like where films have gone since 1998, mm-hmm. as far as like how they look and feel and move nowadays. Yeah. Like, you know, this movie has such like an emotional intensity that that really ratchets it up. But like the camera work and the editing style, like, well, incredibly frantic yeah. to a modern audience probably is kind of like, all right, whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just, it's, you know, the digital, the digital photography, like being from 97 yeah. is really nasty. Okay. Like this is not a pretty looking movie at all. I yeah. mean, it's, it's beautiful in its own way. Yeah. Um, But man, it, you know, it looks like shit. It, you know, it looks like, the camera your fucking parents had when you were, you know, in 1997. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's the quality of <laughs> photography. <laughs> um, so, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, that also gives it like a very much like an edge and like a rawness and a grittiness that you don't get with like the super slick, you know, images mm-hmm. that are, you know, cut together, but you know, the handheld camera work and stuff like that, that's all you wouldn't call very it like, standard nowadays. You wouldn't call you know? it like found footage or anything, right? No, 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 okay. no, no, no. Okay. It's definitely like very constructed. I mean, you know, but it's interesting. There's definitely times where, you know, like people are bumping into the camera and okay. several, you know, like look at it. I've caught, you know, a boom mic in a mirror a couple of times. <laughs> okay. You know, some of that type of stuff is kind of in there. So yeah. there is like a, I don't know, a, a sort of like we don't really care if we're drawing our attention to this mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, cause they were anyway, just because of how like crazy the movie you know, was yeah, yeah. just from a, uh, you know, the way it was constructed and everything it was very much drawing attention to itself. It's okay. like, you know, the, the means of production rather than trying to be like an invisible film. Or right, right, like, right. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, like, uh, the only things I could really compare, you know, the French new wave, like, you know, when that hit definitely had a similar type of effect mm-hmm. where like, you know, that really changed everything you know, as far as like stuff, people thought, you know, oh, you can't do that in movies. And they were like, well, we're going to do all of it. And yeah. Right. Made, like a super successful movie. <laughs> and then now all of a sudden we can do jump cuts and we can, you know, cut. Gotcha. You okay. know, do things like that. Yeah. So, but as far as like, were you asking more like just to, for me personally that had like, you know, a similar kind of impact as this? Yeah. You know, cause I, I like, 
usually when this, I guess that's another thing with like Criterion in general. Like when I, if I like, if like I watch a movie like Hunger, mm-hmm. right, and I, I think to try and like contextualize it for somebody who maybe isn't as up on Criterion or some of their releases, sure, as like uh, you or I, I am, I might say like, oh, it's that's why I uh, use the word biopic, which mm-hmm. I don't consider Hunger a biopic again. Sure. But you know, if I'm gonna sort of have a little bit of you know have a little bit of connective tissue i might say it's a it's a very unorthodox like biopic yeah. it's not something that you've ever seen in a biopic before however I'd, I'd argue to say that like it's a lot stronger and a lot more you know potent than your right. average you know biopic yeah but if so you I need get, something to jump off of yeah then exactly yeah, in, yeah. in that regard then yeah then i would say the found footage comparison is probably apt a little okay as far as like i mean because the aesthetic is very much that you know it's right. it's the handheld it's the handheld you know, yeah. uh, digital camera mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. look no frills about it <laughs> yeah, kind of right. thing um and especially with the like you know we're only using you know uh natural light mm-hmm. and shooting the location just as is and all yeah, this yeah. type of stuff it you know it definitely gives it that kind of quality mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean the movie is very much like obviously a constructed movie of okay yeah camera angles you know chosen by director yeah uh type of film it's not like people are you know directly like talking to the camera like okay. oh there's a guy in the scene filming everything it's not like that gotcha okay um but there are moments where yeah it seems that you know people bumped into it and stuff and they kind of looked <laughs> over and they're like okay i mean whatever yeah right uh so but yeah it's sort of just like a, to begin to kind of understand stylistically kind of okay. what this movie feels like yeah. yeah it's definitely and you know i'm a similar type of effect where like you know blair witch of course was probably the first found footage movie for most people yeah 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 um but uh um you know similar type of effect like where you know you see that and you're kind of like okay this is new and different mm-hmm. and then you know from then on it's like you can't remember a time where this wasn't just part of like kind of the language of cinema. You gotcha. Know? Okay. So it's cool to see, you know, a movie that was such an early adopter of like this technology and this style of filmmaking mm-hmm. that is like, and how insanely successful, Yeah. <laughs> you know, they were at, at utilizing all of it in like a really, really effective way. I mean, this is, you know, yeah. Made in 97 came out in 98, I think Okay. with technology from that era. And it, I watched it last night in 2022 and it <laughs> took my breath away. Awesome. I mean, it really, that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. It is just a hell of a movie. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I loved it. I can't wait to watch it again. I look forward <laughs> to watching it. I'm a, I'm a, even, like I said, even only having watching another round, like I'm, a, yeah. I'm in the, I'm in the Vinterberg. Yeah, dude, this guy's, he, he, he can do some things. I, you know, I, I like, how he does what he does Mm -hmm. and it's it's kind of it's kind of incredible uh yeah you should definitely watch another round i'd be interested to to see what you uh to hear what you think about yeah hannah would be down to check it out too she likes mads yeah yeah that's great Mm -hmm. love mads always always mads love mads (laughs) good pick dude sweet i like it thank you i like it a lot no i was man i'm really excited i I like watched i had it sitting around for the past like few weeks since it just came in I've been wanting to watch it. And then last night, yeah, when Hannah went to bed early, I was like, ah, we're doing Criterion stuff tomorrow. I'm like, I really want to watch this. I'm just going to pop it on. Yeah. I had a good feeling about it. And then like five minutes in, I was like, oh, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Strapping in. All right. My number three is a, uh, it's a movie that's very near and dear to me. Mm. And uh, it's a movie that I discovered with a Criterion channel subscription. Oh, uh, the first time I did a subscription. Nice. So, um, so this movie is a 1970s movie. 
and I, I feel like every once in a while I have like a a really good experience with seventies movies, but then I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, most notably, wasn't wasn't shampoo a seventies flick? Right. So, um, I remember when we did uh, during quarantine when we did our uh, Criterion watches and stuff. Uh, I watched shampoo, and I was like okay about it. It's fine. I didn't really it didn't really do anything for me. Yeah. But then hearing you talk about the time and the era and what was happening and the sort of subtext of Warren Beatty's character and what he's sort of juggling with various women and <coughs> uh, and, and all this kind of stuff and and like politics, I was like, oh, that sounds cool. Like, why did <laughs> right. why why was I not like why didn't that click for me for some reason? Yeah. And I think I was just more clicking into like. Warren Beatty and him yeah, juggling like all these like women and stuff like that. And I, I really didn't connect the, you know, political landscape of what was happening to, right. you know, what he's juggling and stuff. So and that's where, yeah, criterion stuff can come in such handy with, you know, those types. Cause that movie really, imp- not to go off on a no, 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 you're fine. Anything, go, but, go, go, go. Um, yeah, actually like that movie, cause it doesn't invite you into that really. Like, right. You know, the subtext of it, it's sort of, it's one of those, it was made in that time where like, this was like a fever in the country at the yeah. time. And like, you couldn't help, but like contextualize everything in this like political context right. of like everything that was shifting, you know, at the like end of the sixties, mm-hmm. um, the movie takes place at the end of the sixties, but yeah, it was made in the okay. early seventies. Like yeah. Yeah. Commenting all of that. So, um, so yeah, you know, criterion, which I believe actually there is a criterion release of yes, shampoo. There is. Um, yeah. I haven't picked that up, but, uh, um, I, I bet the special features on that are great. Yeah. You know, they yeah. probably do a lot to really bring you into all of that. Um, okay. So, my, so my third, my third movie is uh husbands. Nice. Uh, <laughs> John Cassavetes, uh, written and directed, uh, 1970 has Peter Falk, Ben Gazzara and, uh, John Cassavetes mm-hmm. just pff, chef's kiss. Yeah. Of <laughs> chef's kiss of a cast. Uh-huh. Let me tell you. And, uh, chef chef's kiss of a movie. So I'm going to actually read the uh, yeah. criterion description of it that I have here. So, <clears throat> uh, And it is as follows. The trailblazing independent auteur John Cassavetes pushes his raw, uncompromising emotional realism to its limit in this unflinching portrait of masculinity in crisis. Cassavetes joins Ben Gazzara and Peter Falk, both of whom would become key collaborators of the directors, playing a trio of middle-aged Long Island family men who, following the sudden death of their close mutual friend, channel their grief into an epic multi-day bender that takes them from Manhattan to London in a desperate, debauched quest to feel alive. By, by turns painfully funny and woundingly perceptive, this, quote, comedy about life, death, and freedom, as, it is, as the tagline stated, stands as perhaps the most fearless, harrowing, honest deconstruction of American manhood ever committed to film. <laughs> so... I actually watched uh, this movie called Mickey and Nikki, which was directed by Elaine May that has Cassavetes and Falk in it. Mm -hmm. And that movie, I think I watched that movie first. And based off that movie and watching Falk and Cassavetes, I just wanted more. Yeah. And I want and Husbands was uh, unfortunately Husbands isn't streaming right now on Criterion. Mm. Uh, Mickey and Nikki is and. Uh, a little tangent, Mickey and Nikki is about uh, two friends of the same names. Uh, Peter Falk plays Mickey and Cassavetes plays Nikki. And Nikki sto- has stolen from a mobster and is hiding out. And he calls his friend Mickey to sort of help him. And uh, it's, a, it's, a mob, it's a mob story and uh, about these two friends trying to help out, help each other out. And what 
what Mickey doesn't know is, is that Nikki is the person who's been hired to sort of like take care of him mm. by the <clears throat> mobsters. And there's this inner turmoil between these two friends as they kind of go on like a s- small bit of a debauched night, you know, trying to see what, what will happen by, by the morning. Yeah. And Peter Falk's inner, inner turmoil about, to help his friend or, you know, to stay loyal to the mob kind of thing. And so, uh, really, really, really great movie and really, really great performances. So I took on husbands after this and <laughs> husbands just knocked me on my ass. I, yeah. I don't know if I'd have <laughs> ever watched anything like so raw yeah. before. And the only way I can define raw is, uh, there are, there are sequences in this movie where I feel like, I mean, I didn't time it out, but it felt like, 15 minute one shots of three men in a bar drinking with each other and just you're just watching what they're doing it's it's i don't want to call it or compare it to mumblecore because i don't i don't think it's mumblecore but you almost kind of get the feeling that you know the direction was just like this is how we start and this is how we end and the camera's just going to be here for 15 minutes and you guys just need to be these characters and you guys you know you guys just need to be them in this moment with yeah. dealing with this grief and loss. And it is just like a raw nerve of, of, of some scenes that, that go on. And some of these scenes just seem really random. Like there's yeah the actual front, you know, we're talking about like cover art and stuff. The, the front cover of this movie, it looks like the three of them are uh, in a fight on, on the street of New York. Yeah. It's like, a, right. it's kind of like a blurred <laughs> uh-huh. photo of them. Um, I mean, there are there that, that particular scene is, is them running up and down just sort of, hitting each other like children um, up and down this sh- up and down this street, yeah. you know, in, in New York. And it's, it's hilarious, but also kind of like sad in a way, because mm-hmm. <laughs> these are three grown men with, with families who uh, are literally just trying to cope with the loss of their friend. Yeah. Uh, and it's just really interesting to see the different, the different ways that the different coping mechanisms that they, they go through from, uh, you know, hiring women to sleep with them to just drinking of sex excessively, you know, uh, just, just all these kinds of things. I'd really never experienced anything like it. And uh, I just, I really loved seeing <clears throat> what the, what the title calls is this. It, it does really feel like masculinity in crisis, you know, just kind of like, what am I, you know, who are we now without this person mm-hmm. who for all intents and purposes it was really great as we never see this person interact with them yeah. or anything like that. We don't get like flashbacks or anything like that. Uh, but the way that all three of them are kind of acting, you almost kind of feel like this, this person was more than just a friend. This, this person might've been like the, the guy to balance everybody out. Mm. And now everyone is just like off the chain against, against each other and with each other. And it's, it's raw and it's uncomfortable and you know, it's, it's sad and it's embarrassing and it's, it's all these things and yeah. it's just awesome. It was really, really, really good. So, so another one I sadly have not seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it sounds like everything, you know, that made seventies cinema so good, you know, it's got all those elements it just, there's like such a, there's such like a naked truth to like the writing and the performance in yeah. those movies. Like when you watch acting in seventies movies versus like movies nowadays, it's like, man, what happened? It's, it feels like it, it feels it dangerous. Feels so yeah, it's really. I mean, it it just feels fucking real. Yeah. And like, yeah, when you watch stuff now, you're like, how much does this approach reality? You know, right. and like that's good enough. Um, but yeah, man, in those days, it's like, yeah, it's it feels really like I, like 
I shouldn't be watching this, you know? Yeah. I mean, while, while I was watching <laughs> like, it, let too, these, let's have, let these people have their privacy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a part of me that, that, that was like thinking like, you know, we all have like the, the lizard brain. We're just like, we're just like animals mm-hmm. at some point, you know, like just, we just like react or scream or yell or, or whatever it is, or, you know, things that we want to do. And as I was watching this movie, like there was a part of me that, uh, at times felt uncomfortable, but also like in, incredibly like related to mm-hmm. the uh the emotion that was happening or being portrayed uh out in the open by these characters because of a loss and i was almost kind of happy that i was watching it by myself so that nobody could be like nobody could see that like that's maybe kind of how i am mm. in in a way like i could relate to it so much that it'd just be like yeah i i might go this fucking nuts with like a group of friends or by myself with about some about a loss. Yeah. And it was just so, um, I didn't really get, I obviously didn't get like shampoo vibes from it in terms of like, well, there's this greater subtext that, you know, like I'm missing. Mm-hmm. It just still felt very of today. Like yeah. I, I felt it, it almost, Oh, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it felt very of today. And it felt like if I saw it today that it would still have like the same impact. Like, man, this is just a, this is just a fucking raw nerve that, not a lot of people hit. Yeah. And a lot of people feel like they're afraid to hit, which is why they never hit it. Cause they don't want to be, they don't want to look in the mirror. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like how I, it's kind of like how I described watching like a Lars Ron Cheer movie. Uh, like the, the one time when we watched house that Jack built, yeah. it was just kind of like, uh, I, this is just too much. <laughs> <laughs> this is, you know, like he's skinning me right now yeah, to did, show me my not nerve. Happy. <laughs> yeah, <just> like, <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, I feel like I'll just keep repeating myself, but it's, it's a total, uh, I don't want to call it a vibe of a movie, but I mean, um, it definitely struck a chord with me. Yeah. Re- really deep. That's awesome. Yeah. And I really, really loved it a lot. I did, I did pick up, uh, uh, Mikey and Nikki and, and physical copy of husbands. Nice. Um, and I just like, I, I haven't watched any more Cassavetes, but I would really like to, cause I just, I I really, really enjoyed how he directed the movie. Yeah. And I'm not a big fan of Mumblecore. I'm not a big fan of like, here's an outline, go with it. But I mean, Ben Gazzara and Peter Falk are just, these three men are in sync with each other. Yeah. In a way, like as people, as actors, as friends, and then as these characters that like, I feel like I've rarely seen on film like ever before. And it was awesome. I, you know, it's, so there's a there's a Blu-ray set uh, that Criterion put out that's five films by Cassavetes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I like. I swear, I've been for like seven years. I have been <laughs> hovering over this during every sale, and then I end up like getting other stuff or like just being like, no, let me just back off. I got too many. I haven't watched yet already. Yeah, right. <laughs> or whatever. I don't need five. You know. <laughs> um, so, but it's like, it's sadly such a blind spot for me is like a lot of his films mm-hmm. because I mean, he's like the king of American independent cinema. Yeah. Like he was, he was doing all these fucking Rosemary's baby, you mm-hmm. know, and shit. Like he was doing all of these movies to make money so that he could take this money and go on the streets of New York with a camera and a couple actor friends and make yeah shadows and faces, you know, and all of his, you know, his stuff. And right. It's sad how little of it I've seen, and I'm, you know, I'm like result next time. Next time they're on sale, 
<laughs> I'm gonna buy them this time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, I really I should get those. And you're just yeah, you're making me crave it even more right now just talking about it because it just sounds it's like everything I love about movie making from that time period. You know, like why. Why don't I own this? It really blew me back. Like <laughs> I watched yeah. this movie and I was just like, I might just like love everything he does. Yeah. E- you know, just based off this. Cause it sounds like a lot of it's like that. Un- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, Bobby, can I also just say how unbelievably pleased I am that two of the, your three picks are things I've never seen <laughs> on criterion day. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Which is awesome. That yes. means you've seen like, other criterion stuff you've gone off <laughs> uh it's 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 wonderful i love it and actually totaling four films yeah between those oh, two true. picks yeah yeah. So, yeah no that's true yeah that's awesome yeah I, I, I just realized that i was like oh shit i've only seen one of the movies bobby picked <laughs> <laughs> um uh yeah i hands down recommend uh, uh like uh, buying husbands yeah like just just get it just buy blind buy it you know that that kind of thing um, you know, like friend, I think, I think another thing that is, that hits me about it is also, you know, like, uh, you know, I, we're, we're friends, we've been friends for 10 plus years and, you know, like I have very strong relationships with my friends yeah. and I think that was another part of it too, was, uh, uh, seeing another group of like strong friends, um, crumble, <laughs> <laughs> like literally go down in in a blaze of glory in a blaze of their own you know making yeah. like glory you Damn. know it was incredible uh but um but yeah hands down i i highly recommend this movie and uh yeah could couldn't couldn't love it anymore i haven't rewatched it in a, since i watched it that first time I feel like it's I've, one of those ones that makes do. an impact it yeah. does <laughs> yeah i don't i haven't forgotten it yeah i'll tell you that much right now i have not forgotten it it's like uh yeah requiem for a dream is one of those movies okay too. yeah like, <laughs> you know i'm like i've I've seen it twice, and and like even the second time, I was like, mm, I still feel pretty <laughs> familiar, yeah, with how this movie makes me feel, yeah, and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's an incredible movie, but yeah. it's just it's very effective. I had also um, never seen uh, sticks with you. <laughs> my first my first intro into Bengazera was as the bad guy from Roadhouse. <laughs> nice. This being the only thing I had ever seen him in, and then of course Peter Falk, you know, uh, Columbo. Right. So yeah. to like see Peter Falk and Ben Gazzara, like I don't want to say that they weren't acting in those movies, but mm-hmm. just you know, do do independent cinema. Yeah. Right. Was just like holy fuck, these dudes are on another level right now. Yeah, it's cool to see that range from you know those actors that you you know they get these types of jobs where they're on the recurring character on a TV series. And it's easy to lose sight of the fact that like, you know, they, their ambitions as an actor, yeah. probably to do a lot of different things, mm-hmm. you know, and they probably have skill sets that extend yeah. way beyond just playing, you know, Columbo mm-hmm. and no, that's no, I love Columbo. Yeah, There's great. No, <laughs> no dig on that, no. you know, at all. But you know, you do end up having this perception of mm-hmm. the actors. And so when you see them, that's like outside of that mold and, and when they excel at it too, you're just like, damn, yeah, it really, it's really impressive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. What's your third? Uh, what's your third pick? Uh, okay. My third pick is actually 39 movies. <laughs> you know what? It's any other pick. I, any other like pod, I would be like, no, pick another pick one movie. But because uh, because you have an entire wall dedicated to criteria. <laughs> you, you go ahead with your. 
Uh, it's the Ingmar Bergman box set. Okay, uh, all yeah. right. Ingmar, it's called Ingmar Bergman's Cinema. Um, it's, uh, you know, they had done a couple other box sets. Um, they had done the Zatoichi box set, collecting all the uh, Japanese Zatoichi the Blind Swordsman films. Yeah, which, uh, yeah. That's a great one. Okay. Um, <laughs> but anyway, and they had done the Olympic uh, box set. So they had dabbled. Okay. But they only recently, a few years ago, started doing... Um, large box sets dedicated to individual directors. Okay. Um, that, you know, is sort of like act as like retrospectives of their entire careers on things like that, which is just, again, like just a whole nother, as I said, they only started doing this recently. So it was just like, they just stepped up mm-hmm. what they were doing, like their preservation, their restoration, uh, you know, efforts to like such a new level with these, this approach to box sets where it's like, okay, now we're going to do like an entire life's work you know retrospective release so it's like all of ingmar Bergman. that's why it's 39 films it's all of his feature films yeah yeah i think there's a couple maybe random ones that aren't in there okay for some random reason maybe they're you know there aren't good film elements that exist anymore perhaps or mm-hmm. things like that but um you know it's i mean it's his it's his life's work yeah uh and it's amazing they're all on fucking blu-ray like this, this is 39 feature films that were all restored (laughs) from actual film Film prints. Yeah. And put onto these discs with special (laughs) features for all of them. Uh, It comes with this giant, beautiful book with like all this incredible photography and all of these pieces written about all of the individual films. Mm -hmm. Um, And furthermore, they, so there's like a list in the back of like, you know, the chronological order that the films were made. Okay. If you want to watch them in that order, but they actually arranged the entire set as a film festival would arrange a retrospective. Oh shit. So nice. rather than just putting everything chronologically, it's more so arranged through like kind of themes that he worked through yeah. throughout his career. That's sort of like, okay, maybe his first movie dealt with this, but then like he made a movie 10 years later that kind of revisited that, you know, so let's put those movies together so you can oh. kind of see how this theme progressed throughout his career and then how that evolved in this other thing that maybe then started back here with like his fourth movie, you know, so let's go back and, you know, check that out. And then, you know, and all this stuff. So, so they presented it mm-hmm. in this really like thoughtful way. That's more than just, cause sometimes with, you know, watching like retrospectives, cause I did this with uh, Hitchcock a little while ago. Okay. I, I picked up the Hitchcock Truffaut book yeah, and I was like watching all the movies and like reading, you know, them talking about each of them. And, you know, the beginning was a little honestly trying, because some of his early stuff, it was like Hitchcock. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, some of the early stuff was, uh, you know, he was a director for hire. Right. So he was just kind of doing whatever material was given to him, um, you know, and he was still finding his voice as a, as a filmmaker and all this type of stuff. And, you know, uh, making his way towards what a Hitchcock movie was, <laughs> which was interesting and all. But, you know, some of the movies just frankly weren't that great. Mm-hmm. So to like, you know, trudge through kind of like. 10 of these movies to then get to yeah you know the next like 30 are all fucking masterpieces <laughs> right you know was was cool and all in its own way but also it left the you know the experience was pretty unbalanced and okay. definitely made me kind of want to tap out a couple of times <laughs> like in the early stages yeah so this is a great way of like integrating some of that stuff like the earlier films that yeah some of them are just you know they're a little cruder just because he was you know, a little more inexperienced, didn't have as much of a budget, whatever the the things were, he was still, you know, working out some, you know, his style or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so yeah, you know, being able to mix those in with the larger experience and be able to jump around a bit and kind of have those then contextualized by the things that are surrounding it a little bit better, um, you know, makes for a much more, I found pleasurable, you know, viewing experience okay. across the entirety of his body of work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then also just, you know, kind of help break things up a little bit too, you know, cause at certain times there'd be like, you know, certain preoccupations in a time period <laughs> uh-huh. those get broken up, you know, whereas, you know, if you just watch excuse me, those three movies in a row, it might feel a little repetitious. Okay. Okay. Um, that makes you know, sense. But yeah, 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 you know, we broke them up into their individual themes and paired them with these other grouped them with these other films and you, know, you can kind of see them in that light. Yeah. And again, makes you allows you the ability to kind of appreciate them a little bit more on their own terms uh, in certain instances, you know? Right. So, and there are other ones that are chronological because they're like, you know, these were sort of a triptych of films or whatever, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, things like that. And then even um, so like scenes from a marriage, which was a um, Swedish television series. Yeah. Uh, TV, you know, miniseries. Basically, it was five hour long movies. Um, there was a uh, theatrical cut of that movie made because it was so successful uh, as you know, five hour TV movie, one hour a night for five nights in, in Sweden and like all over Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, for the American audience, that wasn't really a thing. And also the stuff in that you couldn't show that on TV in America. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, suck. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> they were, you know, they made a, a theatrical cut of yeah. it to be released, you know, in the U S and like other places, and so Ingmar Bergman actually made he cut the theatrical version and it's and it's a really cool version in its own right. Like yeah. I think it's really interesting when you watched because uh, when you watch scenes from a marriage, um, you watched all of the long version, all of the individual. Yeah, I watched the miniseries. Yeah, miniseries versions. Yeah. I haven't watched the movie yet. So, yeah. yeah. And then I, I, you know, I wanted to a refresher because it had been a little while for me. So I've watched the movie version. And, okay. Um, actually, I had no, I had watched the movie version right when I watched the original series. Okay. When I was going through this box set, because I was like, let me, let me see, you know, the, the apples to apples comparison here. Yeah. Of one versus the other. And uh, it was really interesting. It's, it's cool. It's a thoughtful cut. Okay. You know, it, it's, it preserves the experience, but does it in a like single sitting kind of way. Okay. Whereas like, you know, the, the TV movie version is definitely more thought out to like, let's let people sit with this yeah, yeah. until the next one, you know, or whatever. Do you, do you have one that you like more or it's just, just kind of equally like, I think they're both great. Okay. Yeah. I okay. really, I, I would have just figured I would prefer the longer version. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and sure. If I'm telling people to watch it for the first time and say hundred percent, watch that one. Okay. You know, the, the mini series, but there's nothing wrong with the theatrical version. That's it's, awesome. It's really good. Um, you know, it's it's really interesting, some of the things that are left out, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, things that are sort of edited around. And then also what's left in in its entirety. Yeah, right. You know, is also <laughs> really interesting. Um, so it's it's great. And uh, um, is a cool way of, you know, it's, it's a good also just piece that's sort of like looking at the two mediums you know like okay. if you're doing something as five in an episodic format versus a theatrical format what are the priorities and what are the considerations rather than just like what can you just edit for time okay you know so gotcha. to speak it's like no, no no let's actually this version has its you know this medium has its strengths mm-hmm. and this one has its strengths so let's just cut it in a, in accordance with what those strengths are. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, did a, does a really great job of it. You know, certain things that they couldn't do in the uh, miniseries version where they're able to kind of cut from one thing that happens in one episode mm-hmm. directly to something that happens in the next. That then in the film version, you can put those things right next to each uh, other. It's like, 
it's like a punch in the face, you know? Okay. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Actually. Awesome. Some of the stuff that, that he's able to, to mine to out of that. Yeah. So, and then Fanny and Alexander, which was a similar deal. Uh-huh. He, uh, same thing in the set. You get the, you get the miniseries version and you get the theatrical yeah, cut the... version. Oh, nice. And, okay. Um, yeah. And it's just really cool again that they went out of their way to present it both ways. You yeah. Know, so you right. can check it out either way. See, you know what he did with mm-hmm. both versions. And then again, there's the book there talks about it. They have nice special features on yeah. all this stuff. So it's, it's wildly, it is like such a incomprehensible amount of work went into this thing. Yeah. And, and it's all beautiful. It's like, I've, I've watched the entire thing. <laughs> uh, I, I had to take a break at a certain point. I mean, it is, you know, his cinema is the cinema of humiliation. So it gets, <laughs> it gets pretty heavy. Yeah. <laughs> a lot, uh, in there, but he's also hilarious at times and stuff. And, and he's, his work is very varied too. You know, mm-hmm. he'll do stuff like scenes from marriage. That is like this crushing reality. Then he does stuff like Persona that's just like this really abstract, super artistic, you know, just kind of like came from another planet type of movie. Yeah. That just like, but also is in, you know, inarguably an Ingmar Bergman film, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, it's it's really cool. He really, you know, he he, he gave everything to his gift. Yeah. Uh, and it's cool to have all of that collected in such a handsome package you know yeah. <laughs> um so you know so and really I, I i adored all of it honestly even like some of his early stuff that yeah it was a little more rough around the edges mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and stuff that even he talked a lot of shit about was like not happy <laughs> with um there were things in there that i thought you know were, were really incredible and you know in their own right you know that um being able to watch them in the context that they presented them in uh you know, gave me the ability to appreciate some of those earlier works rather better than if I, than I think I would have, if I had just kind of like, okay, let me just get through his first like six movies okay, gotcha. until he makes, you know, seven seal or like whatever. Right. right. Um, so, uh, so did you watch them as the film festival? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Cause I had seen a bunch of his movies before already. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a huge fan. So I was like super excited when this came out, but, uh, but yeah, no, I thought that was, and because I had had the Hitchcock experience. Oh, okay. Yeah. When I saw they were presenting it that way, I was like, fuck, that's a great idea. Yeah. Cause yeah, sometimes sitting through their first 10 movies, <laughs> it's rough, rough, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Back in the day when, you know, directors were allowed to make like 12 movies before anyone decided if they could continue working or not. You <laughs> right. know? It was like, what the hell? Like you actually had time to like discover your craft and like explore. Yeah. Huh? What an idea. <laughs> um, now it's like make an indie, make a Marvel movie. Yep. And then yeah. hope that maybe you can right. do what you want to do. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And to make the Marvel movie, your indie movie has to make like 50 million dollars, you know, which is crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Um, but yeah, so anyway, I, I love this set. Um, it's, it's just, yeah, the whole box and everything too is just beautiful. Like everything about it is just so mm-hmm. carefully and meticulously put together and, uh, yeah, it's wonderful and it will not fit on your shelf. It's very big. <laughs> it's, it's big and heavy <laughs> and cumbersome, <laughs> much like this man's life work, <laughs> life's work. So again, design 10 out of 10. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I've only ever seen the scenes from a marriage from him. So one of these days I'll yeah, I'll, I'll, not, I'll knock a few more off. Persona is next. Okay. For sure. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that is will do. Yeah. Persona's actually like top three. It's it's Mulholland Drive, Evil Dead Two, Persona. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
yeah, no, I mean, I like... Uh, and only two of these movies are about women with identity problems. <laughs> <laughs> so. No, I love your picks. Um, I love being able to watch and talk to you about these movies and, of course, other people who are into them as well. And uh, much like... Much like I said with the the vinegar syndrome uh, episode we did, like being able to watch these movies because I am such a I am also such a mainstream cinephile. Mm-hmm. It I love being able to implement like watching these movies that get put out on vinegar syndrome or Criterion into like the big budget stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, totally because yeah. like it it you know to. Um, not that there's anything not that there's anything wrong but like to the layman you know uh it's it's probably nothing but sometimes i'll be sitting there you know i, I love marvel i'm a big fan of marvel at, but there's sometimes i'll be sitting there and thinking like this could have just been a scene there could have just been no dialogue here right do you know yeah. what i mean like <laughs> totally. trust trust your actors like trust this person you know like cassavetes does like falk and gazera <laughs> just give it to me raw let's go you know um but uh, I think that's I think that's the fun part of like watching, watching the stuff that uh, Criterion puts out. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of it, as of late, has been kind of mainstream. You yeah. know, they've 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 like uh, most recently they put out like Love and Basketball, mm-hmm. which I love that movie. Yeah. I remember going to see that movie <laughs> in high school. Like that movie hit me hard. You know, and I never played a game of basketball in my life, but you know, it's it's a it's a really awesome love story a really awesome like black love story Mm -hmm. as well you know and it was like really great to really great and surprising to see that movie recognized by criterion yeah you know so so stuff like that but it's also really great to challenge yourself with some other different forms of of filmmaking because it's it could be stuff that's still being done today but it's being done in a more like interesting artful and sometimes even uh, uncomfortable Mm -hmm. but like a welcome uncomfortable way where you're like Oh shit! I, I I really didn't even know that I felt that way. Yeah, and I and you're discovering something new about yourself mm-hmm. in 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 that in that watch, which is great too. So, uh, yeah, I love even if I don't like something, I'm like definitely happy that like, well, I watched it. Like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah, right. I get it. You know, and it's just it's just nice to sort of tort, sort of have it there. Something of value was received from <laughs> yeah, this. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, exactly. yeah. it's a nice nice place to be. But yeah, there is a lot of. Excuse me. There's, you know, there's a surprising amount. This is where the innovation happens, you know, in filmmaking is in these corners of independent and, you know, world cinema. Yeah. Um, you know, where people aren't paying attention and the rules can be broken. And mm-hmm. then someone does it in a way that like commands everybody's attention. And then all of a sudden it's in your Hollywood movies. Yeah, exactly. You know? So, yeah. yeah, to see, you know, a moment in, you know, one of Paul Greengrass's Bourne movies that calls back to a moment in Thomas Vinterberg's The Celebration is not a stretch. Yeah. You know, at all. You mm-hmm. know, you want to talk handheld camera work? Like <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, these these things, there is this constant, you know, conversation among movies, you know, and among the works themselves mm-hmm. that occurs, you know, over time. And it's just cool to like feel like you tap into that conversation at times and like you can kind of hear it, you know? It's, yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. So, yeah, these movies definitely are a, uh, a giant and well-curated window into a lot of that stuff. And it's one of those things I just I recommend exploring their collection with abandon. Yeah. You know, and whatever it is, if it sounds interesting, fucking go for it. You know, yeah, like for I sure. guarantee you it'll be worth checking out. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. 
I'm not saying that like Matt Reeves is is has done this with the Batman. Uh-huh. <laughs> but if I ever directed a Batman movie, it, it might be like me really trying hard to channel Cassavetes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cassavetes the Batman. Cassavetes the Batman. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The Batsavetes. Um okay, so do you, did you want to do some honorable mentions? Yeah, I'll do just a, a couple. Okay, go for it. Yeah, go okay. for it. So yeah, some honorable mentions, just stuff that didn't didn't quite make it in the top. I'm you know for whatever reason they're not your top. They're just yeah. your pick three. That's they're it. still amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so uh, Repo Man is one of my absolute favorite Criterion releases. Mm. I mean, I love the movie. It's so good, um, but also just design and everything is so cool because the movie's all like about like punk rock. Okay. And everything and so they designed the whole thing like you know old uh, like show posters for like punk rock shows that were all just <laughs> okay. like you know shit taped together and then like xeroxed and shit yeah so like you know the whole pack is just chaotic and you know really cool um so yeah they put together you know the whole box has this kind of style but then even when you go into the booklet and everything they have everything's like really hyper stylized in this kind of same format. Of okay. Like, you know, punk rock aesthetic, <laughs> like new school tattoo and, you know, kind of like old, I don't know, graphic kind of look to everything. It was really, yeah, really, really cool. Very eye catching. And just, yeah, again, like matches the movie just so perfectly, like kind of, it like extends its world beyond the movie, you know? Okay. Like when you're finished watching the movie, it's like, you're still holding something and have this like physical thing that still feels like an, more of that. Gotcha. Um, you know, rather than just like, oh, now I'm just going to like, you know, read this press booklet, you know, about the <laughs> film. It feels like something that emerged from the screen while yeah. you were watching that. Now you can hold and investigate, you know, which is really cool. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that one is is like a that's like an all time top just like package, you know, all around. All right. Uh, great special features, too. Um, all the box sets that they've released, I mentioned the Bergman one, of course, mm-hmm. but they did a they did a box set of Agnes Varda, uh, the French uh, director, and all of her movies, which also is 39 movies with a giant book, same deal, all beautifully restored, beautifully packaged, nice. super fucking cool. Um, there's a Wong Kar Wai set that's really great. Um, I really got to get that one. Yeah. The um, the Godzilla set is super cool. Yeah. That is the least shelf-friendly <laughs> release that has ever been devised it is so gorgeous but it's just this super tall super skinny thing yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's a pain in the ass but it's so cool um so yeah so they've done a lot of great box sets and this is something ever since the bergman one they're like they seem very committed to like continuing to do these sort of like big sets of like we're going to do an entire you know director's like work okay so excited to see what else comes from them on that front um the Princess Bride release is super cool. It's oh, yeah. actually like a, a hardcover, like fairy tale book. Yes, yes. Um, you know, with actual like book pages in the middle and everything. And nice. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, really, really just again like perfect. Um, the uh, their release of all their Vim vendors releases like Paris, Texas, and Wings of Desire, and mm-hmm. uh, Until the End of the World, and all this. Um, his whole road trilogy. Uh, they're so good. Uh, he, he's been super, uh, a, a very, very active participant in all of these releases. Oh, nice. So okay. the amount of special features on all of the Vim Vendors movies in particular that he helped put together or is a part of is staggering. And it's really cool that he's like, you know, he's getting older. He doesn't seem, you know, any worse for the wear, really. Yeah. But he seems just like super generous with like wanting to share everything of his and all of his knowledge 
with like the next generation of filmmakers and is kind of using Criterion as a way to do it. Awesome. So yeah, there's just a lot of like him just getting really into like his process and the way he does things and what he thinks is important in movies and stuff. And it's just, it's all really, it's like having a masterclass, you know, by this incredible director yeah, yeah. Uh, just at your fingertips, every one of these releases, but their, um, their only 3d Blu-ray release is of his movie Pina. Yeah. Uh, which is so good. Um, <laughs> that, is awesome. Yeah. The movie fucking slaps. It's uh, it's one of the best uses of 3d as well. You know, that like, I never watched it in 3d. Yeah. I I'll it come in over 2D. some time and okay. check it out. It's, it's so good. Um, cause it's, you know, it's about this, um, woman who was a you know dance choreographer mm-hmm. and uh it was like all of he's a huge fan of her for a long time and they wanted to document he's wanted to document her you know performances well her you know the performances that she choreographed right um you know very badly but he was just like he was like the the, the way you use space is so important to everything that like to put that on a two-dimensional screen it just it's not going to work you yeah, know, it's just yeah. going to lose everything in translation and so yeah he said he, he saw i think at con one year they had like the u2 3d oh, concert okay. thing that was like one of the first big like 3d uh-huh. productions ever and he said that was what convinced him that he, he was like i'd seen some 3d stuff before and none of it impressed me and he was like this was like okay it's actually it's here yeah you know like it, it works now nice we can do this and he was like i he said he called pina like from like the back of that room it was like <laughs> i just figured it out i know how to make this movie now and oh, shit. Um, and so they went to yeah so anyway they you know able to do all this there's a much bigger story there that I won't get into but anyway so they ended up filming all this stuff in 3D and so to see like after watching the movie I can completely understand exactly what he's talking about okay like, being able to see this film in 3D is really something special mm-hmm. and you can tell it's like no the, this is very thoughtfully put together nice um so i was happy to see them you know adopt this like format one time mm-hmm. you know it's again only 3d blu-ray they've ever put out yeah but it was important for this film you know to be presented that way so they went the extra mile and fucking did it you know awesome. it's a great release um and then i just i i also just have to mention the um lone wolf and cub okay release because uh these movies were you know they were hard to get for a while you could get like shitty bootleg versions and stuff Uh like that. But so they finally did a nice restoration. These are the movies that were super cut into the movie Shogun assassin. Okay. Which is, you know, in kill bill volume two, that's the movie that, uh, that the kid wants to watch and does, and they do watch and everything. So that movie, there's actually a six film series called lone wolf and cub that was based on a manga series. Uh And, um, uh, the first two of these movies were basically like smashed together. Oh, um, okay. With all of the talky bits, yeah, you know, cut out <laughs> uh, to create Shogun Assassin for release in the U.S. Basically, gotcha. and, like okay. overseas and stuff. But so Criterion, um, uh, in typical fashion, got all six movies plus Shogun Assassin because oh, let's shit. include that too, <laughs> and did restorations of all of them, put them out on Blu-ray. Great special features, Incredible. but the box is so cool. Because I didn't even discover this for like it was like two months after I got it, someone told me about this. Uh-huh. That because in the movies there's there's this baby cart. Yeah. It's like this guy with a baby and it's murdering people. Uh-huh. Um, but the the baby cart has all these like little secret gadgets and compartments yeah. on it and stuff. And sometimes it's got Gatling guns and skis. And <laughs> it's crazy. It gets it gets pretty wild. All right. Um, but anyway, uh, the spine of the you know so it's a 
it comes in like a slip case. Yes. So, you know, the one side is the open side where you slip out the mm-hmm. interior contents, you know, with the discs and the booklet and everything. And then the other side is, you know, like a flat back that you display out that has like the title of the film on it and everything. Right, right. So that spine, the flap on that spine actually opens up and there's a secret compartment in there. What? That has a little uh, piece of paper in it that yeah. you pull out and you unfold it and it is a design diagram of the baby cart. Oh, but it's actually they awesome. hid it in a fucking secret compartment in the I had this thing for two months. That's incredible. And I think it was Sean it like texting me. He's like, yo, did you know about this? <laughs> and like sent me a link to like a Reddit thread or something. I was like, no, this is like this guy made this up. Yeah. And then I went over to my copy and opened it up and was like, what? That's incredible. Like, they, did, they did not advertise this at all. You know, like I st- if you look up, you know, buy this or anything, there's yeah. nothing on the website about indicating that this secret compartment exists. Holy it's just shit. there. Yeah. That's awesome. It's so that's good. That's cool. It's so good. <laughs> so, yeah, Beautiful. that's just the level of like attention to detail. And yeah, I could go on, but that's that's my that's my list of honorables. Uh my only honorable mention is the uh trilogy of Guillermo del Toro. Nice. Uh Kronos, The Devil's Backbone and Pan's Labyrinth. So cool. Uh don't know when is the last time any of uh, you or anybody has seen Pan's Labyrinth, but watched it like 2 years ago and it was just fucking beautiful, cried my eyes out. Nice. Uh it was so great, but uh yeah, beautiful box set, uh beautiful set and um very very well deserved uh for this. So um so yeah, that's my that's my only uh honorable. Honorable. Nice. I do own that one. Yeah, that's really nice. Yeah, it's a beautiful box. Um, okay, so we're gonna wrap it up with some Criterion wish lists. Yeah, movies that we demand. <laughs> there's some. There's some that I wish that I'll never get. Yeah, but some that I actually have. I feel like a strong case for. Yeah. Uh, so. Um, okay, so the 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 three that I feel like I have a strong case for are. I'm just gonna list these three. Is Tenant, Tatane, mm. and uh, the Steve McQueen Small Axe series. Ooh, yeah. From Amazon oh, Prime. Man. That is sorely, sorely still not talked about enough yeah. to, this, to this day. Jesus Christ. It's okay. So, good. <laughs> so I know following the Christopher Nolan's uh, first film uh, is on Criterion. Yeah. Right. Um, and so here's here's my play for here's my play for Tenant. Yeah. Tenant. Uh, I feel like should be part of the Criterion Collection because Michael Bay's The Rock and Armageddon yeah. are part of the Criterion Collection. They are. Okay. And I just feel like Tenant is just a new form of action filmmaking, mm-hmm. right? That, you know, like we've just never experienced before. It, it, I mean, it, it just pushes filmmaking into a completely different arena, yeah. right? <laughs> It's like he just slapped everybody with a glove sure with that does. movie, okay? And I think it should be recognized as yeah. as a piece of as as a piece of that. It's a, it's a great you know action movie, you know sci fi movie, diff- all different kinds of things. Yeah. Um. You know, I think it would be too easy to say. I actually originally thought the entire Dark Knight trilogy for what he accomplished mm-hmm. with that, mm-hmm. but I feel like Tenant is the real sort of is the definition. I feel like of what you might have with uh you know the definition of what criterion does yeah it is the, it is the pure heroine of christopher nolan <laughs> yeah tenet yeah. right exactly it's everything distilled uh and my only design of it would be uh i know criterion has never done this vinegar syndrome does this a lot 
I would have it be the first reversible cover mm. where, but the cover that you receive when you order it is that everything on it is backwards. Mm-hmm. So like the description on the back, yeah. everything is all backwards. <laughs> and if you want it right, the right direction, you just switch the cover. on. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that would be my only nice design. I like it. Uh, Tatane, I feel like should be on there because yeah, it's fucking detained. That, I mean, that has Criterion written all over it. As of today, yeah. this movie is on Hulu in, uh, French in the art U.S. Film. Yeah. yeah, this French art film <laughs> that is, is incredible. Yeah, uh, it's on Hulu. Watch it. You know, um, it's about cars. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you like cars, right? Yeah, yeah check it yeah, out. Yeah, it's about cars. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that that's that's uh, that's that's another movie. Uh, yeah, as well. That's a per. I mean, screaming for it. Yeah, I would uh, scoop that up. In and a then second. Steve McQueen, uh, who my first pick was Hunger. Uh, his first movie. He did this a uh, small X series yeah. on uh, Amazon Prime, and it's still it's still up there. It's an Amazon Prime, you know, product. Yeah, uh, incredible series. Yeah, front to back. It, unbelievable yeah, yeah. it's one of the, i mean that was top for 2020 god oh god yeah, yeah. like yeah. no like no contest yeah, yeah. like portrait of a lady on fire was like okay you're <laughs> this yeah. is just a little better yeah, yeah. right 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 <laughs> yeah cuz there's five of them you know yes <laughs> yeah uh but yeah no uh steve mcqueen did this uh, series called small acts and it was uh different stories uh about um black people uh different black stories from uh, England, different periods, yeah, you know, from you know the late '60s, '70s, all all the way through. Uh, one movie is just like 70 minutes, and mm. it's just a party at a house, and it's the so, most amazing thing yeah, you've ever seen. The best thing that happened on film in 2020. Yeah, pretty much. Fucking Amazon. Uh, but I implore everybody to you know it's on it's on Amazon Prime. Watch it in order. You yeah. know, it's really fucking great. It yeah, was, it, it was a honestly like. It was a pleasure, like Sean and I, when you were kept talking, recommending it to us. Uh, like we would, I think they would release on what Wednesday One or Thursdays. Week, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was great to just sit down with Sean and just watch these and just Man, be blown away. It's so awesome to have that to look forward to every week. Yeah, we were so spoiled. <laughs> it was so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then my my one wish fulfillment, which is a trilogy. Yeah, it's a box set. It is a Michael Mann. Box set, Ooh, yeah. Criterion Michael Mann box set. Because Thief's on Criterion. Here's the three: Thief, Heat, Miami Vice. <laughs> of course, it's got to be there. <laughs> you know, it's got to be there. I mean, it's uh, man. It's Let's Im- just do that trilogy it- one day. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's important in its own way, but man, no Manhunter though, like. I mean, Manhunter's good. Uh, yeah. I love Manhunter. Manhunter's solid. But there's a, there's a fucking line with Thief, Heat, and Miami Vice. Yeah. Why not just a full man set? Full man box oh, set. Oh, the whole box yeah. set? Yeah. Let's get the keep in there. I'd be fine with Let's that. Get, yeah. Yeah. With the Tangerine but Dream I, score. I'm trying yeah. to like crawl before I run. Okay. You know? Yeah. So if like Criterion was just like, what do you want? Trilogia to, <laughs> to Michael Mann. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what do you want? I'd be like, I want this box set. Yeah. This is what I want. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. No, that's good. Yeah. That's my wish that I know I'll probably never get. I mean, I buy it. Like, there's no question about it. <laughs> buy it. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's my wish list. Nice. I like it. Yeah. That's a good wish list. And I was going to say with Small Axe, too, it's uh, they uh, Criterion is doing some Amazon Prime stuff. Yeah. Oh, like yeah, they yeah, did, yeah. Like One Night Miami has a uh, that's right. release and a couple others. So it's not impossible. And they should do it. 
It seems like the most obvious fucking candidate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Anyway, so my wish. So actually, funnily enough, Criterion has actually fulfilled a lot of my wish list picks over the years. <laughs> I mean, obviously, Mulholland Drive. Yeah. Told that story. That was a huge one for sure. Um. So I feel. Uh. I feel greedy. To say the least, to even you know put this out there, that doesn't mean I'm not going. to. You've gotten enough, goddamn yeah, it! I, I have, they have given me so much. Okay, <laughs> but um, for a while because they've done several Coen Brothers releases. Okay, I really wish they would put out Barton Fink. Oh, I'm because I Barton still Fink's not a no, it's not, have, no, it's not on Criterion. There's no Criterion release. No I don't shit. think there's even a good Blu-ray release, and I have a European Blu-ray that's like all region. Oh shit! But I don't think I don't know if there is even a, a U.S. Blu-ray release that's available. Oh, currently. Wow. I haven't checked in a couple of years because I bought that one. But um, yeah, it's fucking stupid. Yeah, and uh, they're they just recently, uh, or maybe it's coming out next month or something, or doing uh, Miller's Crossing. Yeah, uh, they put out Blood Simple. They did Inside Lewin Davis. Um, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, they've so they've done several Coen Brothers movies. And uh, this one just, again, it seems like the most Criterion Coen Brothers movie. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I would just, I'd, I love the film too. And I would just love to have like a really awesome definitive release of it. Uh-huh. Um, the Blu-ray I have is fine. It doesn't look bad or anything, but you know, it could be better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. Barton um, Fink. Barton Fink way up there. And that's been kind of like on my wish list for a long time. Actually on your profile. On the Criterion page, mm-hmm. uh, there is a section that says what most requested, you know, oh, des- okay. or desired, you know, on your to fill out your profile. And I've had Barton Fink on there forever because <laughs> it was Mulholland Drive and then they put it out and then I changed it to Barton Fink. Nice. And it's been that ever since. I got to throw that Michael Mann set up there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then my other top wish list uh, items are uh, a Ming Lang Sai box set course this just it seems like it's screaming to happen yeah uh, this is mingling sai is a taiwanese director that i've recently become just completely enamored with mm-hmm. um his most recognizable or most well-known movie is a movie called goodbye dragon inn uh which will be playing at the regal at the end of the month for some reason yeah. i don't know why but everyone should go <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but the movie's incredible. I, I love this guy. And it's, yeah, there's no good releases of most of his movies. Um, shout out to Grasshopper Films. Grasshopper. For the unfucking believable release they just put out of Days. Yeah. Uh, his latest movie, the, the Blu-ray set that they released for it is just unbelievable. Nice. Um, yeah. It's, it's like the one time his movie has gotten the treatment it deserves. Um, so, yeah, I would love to see Criterion. And again, like the just... The subject matter and, you know, his status as an artist, as an auteur, um, it all just, it checks all the boxes for a Criterion release. Yeah. It'd be great to see them pick up his stuff and, and restore it all <laughs> and put it out in much better versions than I was able to watch on the videotapes and DVDs that I had to buy <laughs> in order to watch his movies. Um, and then the last thing would be, uh, along a similar vein, a box set of Andre Zulovsky films. Oh, um, yeah. Good one. Also just checks all the boxes for a criterion candidate. Yeah. As far as a director. Um, also several of his movies are very hard to get. Okay. Um, and I had to watch garbage versions of them and it's, it's, it's a cosmic imbalance that needs to be corrected. (laughs) It's, it's an unfairness that cannot stand. Yeah. Um, cause his stuff is just like so unique and so amazing. And also just one of those guys that like 
saw his movies just a couple of years ago and was like, I mean, 40 years later, this is like nothing I've ever seen. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So what's the one that we watched? Possession. Pos- no, uh, the other one. Oh, oh, Lamore Brock. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Crazy love. Crazy love. <laughs> Fucking movie. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. it's insane. Um, so yeah, Possession's probably his most well-known movie. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, Sam Neill and Isabella Johnny are in it, uh, which is amazing. And uh, and is currently streaming on Metrograph. Oh yeah, along with Goodbye Dragon Inn nice. by Ming Lang Tsai. So hopefully the Metrograph people and the Criterion people are talking, and they can say like, "Hey, we can start you off with these movies, and then let's get the rest." Yeah, and fucking make it happen. Because yeah, it just seems like why you know even any single one of their films to come out on Criterion Collection would be I'd be just thrilled yeah <laughs> um but yeah i'm i'm shooting for the stars here so i'm saying fucking box set do it do it yeah give me all their movies because both of them have you know pretty uh yeah, modest catalogs yeah you know also like like Sai has 12 features okay and zulovsky has uh, between 10 and 15 you know so it's not it's not an incredibly daunting task yeah uh but desperately needs to be done nice yeah fantastic mm-hmm that's what I got. Dorian, I think we did some fantastic work today. I think we did too. Yeah. It felt good. I feel like Criterion should just put this on all their releases going forward. Mm-hmm. This, Yeah. This is just a staple this special is, feature. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I feel we lived up to our obligation to the Criterion collection to... Uh, yeah. These really, are all good picks to start with. Yeah. Or, you know, jump into. Yeah. You know, really for sure. Give, give people something they could bite into no matter what their tastes are and that would ensure their continued interest <laughs> in the collection. Hands down. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's all we got for this episode. That's it. We're about to tap out, have some more beer. Yeah. And uh, watch a Giallo tonight. Woo! Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>